Hello fellow homebrewers, JP here, and I want to introduce to you the brand new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Series available at More Beer. More Beer sells the highest standard in homebrewing equipment, and the Brewbuilt Conicals are just that. They're made from mere polished 304 stainless steel, and they come with loads of features that you and I have been looking for. They have a full 2-inch bottom dump valve, which will eliminate your clogging issues, while the sturdy base includes four reinforced legs, just like those big pro tanks do. More Beer also carries the Brewbuilt line of options and add like casters, pressure kits, and even external glycol chillers. So you can find out more about the new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Uni Tanks by going over to morebeer.com for detailed videos on the entire line of Brewbuilt Conicals. You can trust Brewbuilt with your next fermentation, and you can trust Morebeer to find the right conical for you. Brewbuilt at morebeer.com. Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14th. Get tickets now. Home brewers, craft brewers, beer lovers, beer drinkers. Get ready for an all-new experience in information exchange and beer culture. Your only source, only source for live beer radio that brings expert brewers from around the globe right to your home. You're not just listening to broadcasters. It's the Brewcasters on the Brewing Network. Wow, that one snuck up on us, huh, guys? Yeah, it did. Wow. <laughs> hey, we're on in 10 seconds. <laughs> hey, by the way, showtime. It's good fun. It's good fun when you're just hanging out drinking beer and you don't realize you're supposed to go to work. I hate that. That's how I lost my last job. <laughs> hanging out drinking beer and not knowing you had to go to work. Yeah, exactly. Welcome, everybody, and happy Easter. It's another uh, Brewcaster episode right here for you. It's uh, the Sunday that Jesus came back, for those of you who want to believe that. And uh, for those of you that don't, uh, I don't care. That's fine. Not a happy Easter to you, just another happy Sunday to you. But uh, to those of you who, who celebrate the thing, then, then happy Easter. And our guests are slowly rolling in the studio. It's uh, had a couple people get lost and uh, and others not even here yet. Today is going to be the PH Water Show. We've done a water show for you before where Doc went into some, some serious business about how to build water and, and really get the mineral content right. and It, and, uh, it can be done. <laughs> it can be done. In fact, uh, often Doc likes to do that just for the challenge, which I think is a, a freakish thing to do, but uh, Doc has fun doing that. Yeah, I do. i, I got to mess with it every time. And, and the whole thing is that you don't have to, and it, it should be one of the last things you master. Okay. And there are two parts to uh, water chemistry, and one's the pH, and the other one's basically the, the mineral content to kind of add flavor or accentuate malt, hops, whatever okay. you got to do. Right. So keep that in mind. Don't get overwhelmed on this thing. You can take a little bit at a time. Yep. Do that. that. 
That's exactly what I'm going to do, just a little bit at a time. I'm nowhere near building water, although I didn't have to tell you that. You're lucky you can get it out of the tap, I think. <laughs> I think so. I'm lucky. I just started running it through a carbon filter. <laughs> so uh, even that's a, a, a milestone for me. But today, the part of the water content we're going to do is the actual pH content. And Colin Kaminsky, uh, somewhat of a, of a beer nerd himself, is is real good with the with the water yeah. makeup and the chemistry. Isn't he a rocket scientist, too, or something? Hey, one of his hobbies is holograms. He likes playing with lasers and making holograms. Yeah, I thought that's what it was. And because uh, we did have him in here before, Colin Kaminsky is from Downtown Joe's, which is a brewery up in up in Napa. Going to be interesting just to yeah. find out if it's uh, if it's out of the water yet, because there was a lot of flooding going on here in Northern California. Yeah, he's, they're right next to the river too, but it's down quite a ways. Uh, you know, kind of drop off there, but it'd be interesting to ask him just to find out. Speaking exactly. of water, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how much water did you get in the yeah. brewery? So we'll find out about that. And then, of course, uh, Eric Beer is here with us today. How are you, Eric? Hey, greetings. Good. Now that I made it. Uh, yeah, a little lost on your way in, but uh, <laughs> that's all right. Eric's been on the show before. He helped us out when we did our gadget show. And you can go to onebeer.net. Is that right? Yeah, that's the one. Okay, go to onebeer.net, and it's just a cool personal site. Eric's not in it to uh, cash in for a bunch of bucks or anything like that, but he's got a cool blog on there where he kind of lists his brewing projects. And then he also, uh, one of the one of the things we've mentioned on here several times about people wanting to build a stir plate. Eric Beer is the guy who gave us all the uh, information, Doc included. He, he showed yeah. Doc how to do his uh, easy-to-make and cheap yep. stir plates. They are very cheap, definitely. You I've... can go to onebeer.net. If you have any questions about that, feel free to call us up and ask, 888-401-BEER, or check out his website. But, but Eric's the guy who showed us how to do that during our gadget show. And you did a pH experiment for, uh, I guess John got you on the task, but uh, kind of for Colin, too. Right, right. Okay. That was a little, a uh, little late in the game there. So we uh, just barely got uh, some beer. I think we're on 14 days right now. Oh, Maybe is that 15 right? 15 days. So it's going to be kind of green. But you did bring <laughs> us. But we do have samples. <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, all of the, um, all of the, uh, the details of the pH experiment are out there on the website. Okay. So if anybody wants to follow along, that's there. There is information there. Very cool. And I think we're going to discuss that kind of in detail when we get to our pH talk a little bit later in the show, too. Because what we're going to find out is, is the effect of using different stabilizers to get your pH right. That's what Eric did. And uh, kind of find out uh, how each one works and how it affects the same recipe as what Eric did. And we'll get, that, uh, we'll get to that later. So get your questions ready about how to adjust pH and how it affects recipes and how it affects different styles of beer. Everyone knows how it affects Guinness. We've talked about that before, and I'm sure we'll bring it up again today. And it's going to be a, a pretty informative thing, I think, going on. So uh, get ready for that. Uh, 888-401-BEER. Of course, you can join us in the chat room. Danielle is helping us out in there. How's it looking today, Danielle? It's looking kind of slow so far. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Everybody's still celebrating Easter. Yeah. It's uh, people hanging out and eating eggs and stuff, mm-hmm. I guess. Not, awesome. Uh, not too much on the beer thing. How's uh, Easter in the Catholic Jew house for you, Doc? Oh, it's uh, pretty quiet over there. <laughs> uh, my mother-in-law's in town, and you wouldn't even know it's Easter. So your mother is... My mother-in-law's Jewish. And, your, and your wife's yeah. Jewish. What's so, your mother-in-law's last name, just out of curiosity? Coleman. Coleman, okay. Just curious. I thought it could have been like, you know, I don't know, Stern or something like that. No. Something very, uh, it gets even better. Spielberg. Finkelstein. Rotenbach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing like that. So it's, yeah, it's pretty quiet around the house. What about the kids? Do they get Easter baskets? Yeah, they got Easter baskets. They do. And that's from your influence kind of thing? Or? Actually, no. Wife, I, it, we, it was, it got started a Four or five years ago, yeah, uh, you know, I figured you know we need to do this, and I kind of got it going. And I didn't make a big deal of it this year, but they, 
Easter baskets showed up this morning. So, so the kids are getting the best of both worlds. Yeah, there. they yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, they they rake it in at Christmas Hanukkah time. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> but you do you like you know do you not tell them that Easter's the day of the big JC or you just say oh it's the Easter basket day? Uh, I mean, the the older one knows what's going on because they teach him that around in school and things and kind of what what's uh, what's things about. And does your wife tell him like oh pish posh? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> She's cool about all that. Yeah. Okay. I just think that's interesting. It's got to be fun and very interesting around the holidays at your house when there's two sides like that. It, it, there, there, it, it's a line divided. Yeah. I mean, she'll she's okay with Christmas trees and some Christmas lights, but I don't think she wants me to have Santas and things in the, on the lawn. In the <laughs> <laughs> right. And what about uh, lights in 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 on the house and things like that? Do you, is that uh, crossing the line too? No. I well, it was for a while, and then I pushed the envelope again. <laughs> Put him up. <laughs> it's so funny. I just I don't know why. I just find that interesting. I think it'd be. Well, uh, she's always on me. Like, get him down. Get him down. Christmas is over. I go. I know, but I mean, I'm eating my Easter meal here. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Well, the good thing is, is it's not hard for you to get away from home on Easter. To do oh, our that's show. what I was thinking on my way over. It's, you know, it <laughs> yeah. might have been hard to get away from home, but nope. that's you're going. Hey, you know what? Today I'm thankful my wife's a Jew. Yep. <laughs> I get to go do the brewcast. <laughs> See, there's a silver lining everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, very cool. Doc is back with us. Now, you were missing last week, Doc. Uh, yeah, we took the kids up to Santa Rosa. Uh, there's a, a safari place up there. You can spend the night. They have, like, tent cabins. Okay. And they take you around. There's a lot of African animals that they have there, a lot of cool things. Really? Yeah. A little bit of Africa in Santa Rosa. In San- that's what I thought, too. And uh, it's... Kind of an animal sanctuary at the same time. I think they it's, they make a lot of their money from the tourists that want to see that. Okay. A lot of a lot of foreign people, you know, that know about this place and travel a ways to get there. Right. Uh, we stayed there, had dinner, and there it's almost like a big great room, and they kind of have a cafeteria style thing. Yeah. The cool thing was is they serve beer and wine too. Nice. No crap beer. Oh really? It, it was the, go. all good beer. All good beer, and then I, of course, I I wanted to try the one that they had from Kenya. It was, oh yeah, it was, a, it was a lager called Tusker. Yeah. with an elephant on it. Right. It was a really nice Hellas. Really? It was, in fact, wow. I had several of them. That's, um, it's so funny you mentioned that. What a coincidence! Because last week I saw it at Bevmo. I didn't pick it up because I had to pick up. Uh, it's, it's a pretty nice Hellas. I was surprised. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. I was going to pick that up. A Hellas from Kenya. Yeah. Not bad. It's, it's huh? just said a light lager and. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'll give it a go, and it was it was actually a what the hell a, a nice Hellas. Okay, what's it called again? Tusker, like Tusker. the elephant. Yeah, and it was pretty good. All right, I'm gonna check it out. Yeah, they had, time. they had Red Tail, they had Newcastle, they had a few nice ones. Sweet. Uh, no, no macro brews. None, huh? Yep. Nah, that's too bad. I went to uh, I was in in Southern California. I had to go visit the folks, which are actually in Arizona. I just mm-hmm. kind of did a did a or an indirect route, and stopped at a bar down there. It's a brew pub. It's called Father's Office. And uh, 100 beers on tap, which is um, somewhat of a rare thing in Southern California. Not in the San Diego area, but where I was. I was in, actually, L.A. But they had four of Vinny's beers on tap. Good. You know, and and I'm thinking, you got to have some contacts down there to get Vinny to send his beer down, because he doesn't do a lot of distributing, you know. And there are places you can find it. I'm not saying that, but... There are, there are a lot of places up here where Russian River is located that you can't find his beer. And they had four of them. They had the Damnation, the Perdition, both of those on tap, which I thought was interesting. They didn't even get the bottles. They just had it right on tap. And then they had um, Blind Pig and, of course, Pliny the Elder. Good. So yeah. that was pretty cool. Well, yeah, one note this, uh, as we're leaving on 
in the morning. Well, honey, uh, we're in Santa Rosa. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Make a little detour? Uh, yeah, we took a little detour. You did? Yeah. That so, but uh, Vinny was out because he was up in Seattle for the World Cup. Okay. I got a little report to do about yeah. that. Yeah. So, But they were actually out of Pliny. Oh, it wasn't on tap. Out of Pliny. Yep. Interesting. Oh, bummer. So I had a, I, did you guys have pizza? No, because we had already eaten. Okay. And that's why I was keep getting. Why? Why are we going there? We already ate. Well, cause I'm <laughs> uh, thirsty. Yeah. So we had a few of the Belgians and nice. We you use we loosely. My wife. Yeah, my wife actually had a few like oh, yeah? that one. She likes the Belgians. Mm, yeah. Well, she's she'll try things and uh, what just caught me the last to last, last couple of days. Oh, she wants she was cooking and she I need some dark beer for the ah. for the recipe here. Okay, so what do I got? So I poured her, poured her a stout, nitro stout. She goes, oh, but I don't need it till tomorrow morning. Oh, now what am I going to do with that? So she takes a drink. I never thought she'd even look at it. Yeah. Stout. And she, dad, that's a damn good beer. And nice. my mouth's dropping up because she even drank it, let alone liked it. Yeah. All right. Score. Hell yeah. You were horny that night. Yeah. <laughs> like, my wife likes good beer. <laughs> oh. well, she, there's, there's certain ones of mine that, that she'll like, some that she won't. Um she was drinking my classic American Pilsner last night. I, I left it there, and all of a sudden it's, like, gone. And <laughs> What happened here? Oh, that was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> That's the good beer yours we're drinking here, Doc. What do we got? That's uh, coconut stout. Coconut. Coconut That's what stout. That coconut chocolate is. stout. Yeah. That's real good. I could taste the chocolate. I couldn't put my finger on the other flavor now yeah. that you say it. I and just, I, you know, you flavor it just enough so you can just kind of tell what it is, but not that you're drinking a... What do you use for coconut? Uh, uh, an extract. It's, it's all extract? Yeah. That way I can titrate it in there. I've tried it before, like adding the toasted coconut. That works yeah. okay. You put it in the secondary. That works pretty good, but it's got a lot of oil in it. So, so did you put like the extract in the keg, or did you do no, drop, droppers in the bottle? Droppers in the yeah. bottle, because I, I, you know, tried it. You know, two in this one, three in that one, four or five on up, and you know, first thing you pop to six, and you're going. Oh, that's too much. And you're looking at the one with eight drops, and you're going, I'm not even going there. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Well, the reason I brought up you not being here last week, Doc, is it was uh, another one of our doozy of a show. <laughs> I, I read a little bit about it on the it's quite on the forum. But it was a real good show. Uh, controversial in, in, in that statement even that I just made about whether or not it was a good show. Uh, everyone on the BN staff absolutely loved it, thought it was a real good change of pace for us. And as you know, Doc, I mean, we sit in here every week, you know, doing this show. And, yeah. And, and – you know, look at there's four ingredients in beer. There's so many styles of beer. There's uh, you got to come up with a lot of things to different angles to approach it as you know. And this is, a, this is I think one of the reasons that beer clubs meet once a month instead of every week. You know, like there's only so much you can you can do. And we're always looking for different angles to approach. And last week's show just kind of took a life of its own, which uh, I really appreciated. And I thought it was very different. And a lot of our listeners appreciated it also. And then of course there were there, there were many that didn't because it wasn't a normal show right it didn't just give out the information and uh you know a lot of times people that they, they just tune in they want to hear the good stuff and they have their idea of a show and if it doesn't pan out that way it's uh, you know, a bit of disappointment which is fine uh, you can't keep everybody happy you, all the you, time you can't do that but uh again i will restate that to do a different show every now and then is is a good thing for us because let's face it if we just went straight through uh kind of covering the processes and never you know mixing it up in between We'd we'd have been done already. Yeah. And then you could just go back and listen to our archives, and we could never do a new show. Everything right. would have already right. been said, right? Right. 
So it was kind of fun, you know, for me and uh, Daniela. I think had a lot of fun doing it. It ended up turning into kind of a of a brewers roundtable. People just arguing about uh, <laughs> different theories in the Belgian world, and and kind of a of a Brian Hunt sort of theory mm-hmm. got uh, got argued about. But I did get a couple of, of bits of feedback about it. One bit that we did in the beginning of the show was talking about Michael Jackson's appearance on Conan O'Brien. Yeah, I was uh, reading some of the things on the forum about that. Did you Did you listen to it? No, I didn't. Well, it's an interesting thing, and I, I'm gonna I'm not gonna apologize for any of the things I said because I don't think that that's necessary. But I will make some remarks about the the whole commentary because people were concerned about it. No one was real angry or anything, but they were a little concerned. They felt that I only made fun of Michael Jackson and didn't give him any any props for what he's done for the beer world. I didn't I didn't pay proper respects, which. Uh, which maybe is true. Maybe is, maybe isn't. Um, uh, what I did was play the clip from him on Conan O'Brien, where he was uh, quite obviously a, little, a couple sheets to the wind, and uh, and they were having fun with him on Conan. And so I had a little fun with it, too, because I was only going off of the clip. I don't know the man personally. Was he having fun on the, he, on the Conan show he now? Didn't, he didn't appear to be having a whole lot of fun. Um because Conan was having a whole lot of fun with him, <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. And how yeah. much fun is that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're the guy, uh, so yeah, he fires him off pretty fast. You can't, you can't even respond before he's <laughs> throwing another one at you. I wouldn't want to sit across from that guy when oh, he's yeah. in a mood. Well, look, at, and you don't get to that point if you don't know how to control a show and uh, and an interview and 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 guide things the way you want them to go. And on top of that, you don't get to that point if you don't know your audience very well and what they want to see. And that's what he played up to. And the interesting thing is. Uh, uh, that uh, you know, Michael Jackson probably isn't there necessarily to play up to that audience, but he goes on those things maybe knowing that he's going to take a ribbing, but at the off chance that he's going to introduce some good beer and and a bit of a, a different beer world to the to the mass to the you know the mass audience that Conan sure. has right. So I do give him respect for that, and I probably in uh, le- having fun and making fun of the guy last week, I probably left it out that I I actually appreciate that he went out there even to do that. But let's face it, when you're a public figure and you're going to go on something like Conan O'Brien, look at I'm about as much a, a public figure as like uh, you know Doc's kids' school teachers, right? <laughs> but uh, I take a ribbing day in and day out for putting myself out there, and and Michael Jackson put himself out there on Conan. So let's you know, come on, right? He, he's going to take right. a, a little bit of flack for it. But I I, I do say uh, that I I probably failed to mention that that he has done you know great things for the exposure of good beer and um, right. It's not the Learning Channel. It's Conan O'Brien. It's Conan exactly. O'Brien. And you know what I think? I think Michael Jackson was fine with. That because it was his second time on that show already, I do not imagine the first time being so different from the second time. Right. So everybody who goes on Conan knows what he's about to get into. Yeah. You know, you can be, you could be the president of the United States and you might get a beating. You know, yep. that's just Conan. Uh, absolutely. I wonder what well, they had in the green room that he got all <laughs> yeah, saucy. Yeah, he was all saucy. <laughs> he well, introduced Golden Shower. That was for sure, which is a really good beer. So he picked a good one, right? He picked some good ones. And, and do you know what Golden Shower is? I know what it is. <laughs> you, did, you didn't before, did you? <laughs> I did. <laughs> <laughs> and so you can tell that he was playing up to to what he was in for too by choosing to bring Golden Shower and, and even the way he presented it on there. Well, here's what's interesting and and, the, and what made me think about my whole commentary too is that right after the show somebody posted Michael Jackson's blog 
on his website from his first appearance on Conan, which apparently went the same as his second <laughs> appearance. And he just kind of said the same things that I've been saying here, like, look, it, it's Conan, and what do you expect him to do? I'm not even going to try to compete with where he wants to take it. And if I get out there and get to do a little bit of something, then that's a good thing. And, and that I really appreciated. And when I read his blog, I kind of went, okay, maybe after the reading, ribbing I gave him, I should have said, P.S., Nice set of balls by going on the show and doing that, twice. you know, and, and yeah. twice, even, yeah. and uh, and all that. So, so while I'm not going to apologize for making fun because he deserves it, uh, I do give him props <laughs> for going out there and doing what he's done. And uh, it kind of is all coming about. Let me give you some feedback. Oh my god! You've got mail. Kick ass. A couple of the mails we got were about last week's show. This one um, talks about our show in the beginning. Loves the show kind of thing and says, The main reason I've written is in regards to your ribbing of Michael Jackson. While I can see the humor, if it were not for Michael Jackson, the revolution that brought craft beer, the, the craft beer scene to the U.S. would not have happened, or at least would have happened far later. He is as important as Charlie Papazian and Camera in the recent history of good craftful beer. While he is open to mockery as anyone, it would have been nice to have shown a bit of respect. I guess you took the piss out of my hero. Anyway, keep up the good work. And he signs his name. So, um, again, I don't apologize for taking the piss out of him. But you're right. He's very important. Uh, as important as Charlie, maybe. I don't know. Um, but uh, I do give him props for the work he's done. And I uh, didn't mean any offense by not mentioning his merits. Uh, here's another one from somebody who absolutely did not like our show last week, Doc. Um, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's impossible. <laughs> But he does like you. And, uh, the beginning, uh, I'll leave out. He says, P.S., the shows really suck without Doc. Uh, and <laughs> Thanks. Actually, I'm going to read exactly how he wrote it instead of uh, fixing the grammar. Uh, the shows really suck without Doc should get about doing a show without him and he's goner. It is mass confusion. He is like the father figure in this show, and when he leaves, it's like a house party because he is gone. <laughs> so, uh, whether or not you bring any responsibility to the show, Doc, I'm not sure if that's a fair statement. <laughs> but uh, nice to know that you were missed, I'm sure. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, we did try an experiment last week where we were going to try to cover two topics. We wanted to cover Belgian beers and also cover... Uh, opening up a brew pub because we had O'Sullivan here. So yeah. I said at the beginning of last week's show, we're going to give this a go. I don't know if it's going to work. I'm going to try to cover two topics in one show. But the way things normally go, it's probably not going to happen. Well, it didn't happen. We only got to the one topic, and some people were upset. Um, this guy says, guys, I was really looking forward to the second half of last week's show that never materialized. You are going to talk to your in-studio guests about the ins and outs of starting a brew pub, and in their case, from scratch. About halfway through the show, you stopped mentioning it. And at the end, you <laughs> talked about next week's show, which was something different. Uh, he goes on to say, do you plan to work this subject back into your schedule soon, or is it toast? Of course. He says, don't get me wrong. I like the discussion about uh, the style of Belgian beer, but I was really looking forward to hearing what your guests say about starting a brew pub from scratch. So to answer you, absolutely, uh, this is from Mike. We will be getting back to the brew pub deal. Uh, it's It's been a very popular subject among our listeners. Our plan was to, to have Sean in here because he had a different angle from Peter, which is from Alesmith, who, who bought a, an existing brew pub. Brewery. Sean started from scratch and opened up a brew pub as well. Uh, we will get back to that, so fear not. We'll do that. Okay, uh, I got a praise one. I don't know. We're kind of running short on time. Maybe I'll just keep going. 
Okay, here's one. Uh, now, here's one for all the guests, and it's also for the listeners as well, because you all need to know this. And let me preface this by saying, I'm the only one in the room who's had any broadcast training, and and that happens every time we get people in here, and guests included. And listeners, you'd be surprised, as comfortable as maybe some of our guests who come in here and they they sound like they're they're just they're real happy to be here and they're they're completely comfortable. They freak out when we ask them to do this show. <laughs> yeah. A couple of these guys are like, I don't know what to do there. You should see the look on their faces five minutes to showtime. Like I said, they're in here hanging around here, maybe having a beer about 15 minutes before showtime, and they're pacing. They're yeah. they're like a lion in a cage, pacing back and forth, and they're freaking. Because nobody does this. Like the, like the media could give a shit about you know brewers in general. Occasionally they want to bring a big guy in and if, if something like really interesting happens. But in our world, in the brew world, it's a rare thing that a radio station calls you up and says, hey, we, you want to be on the radio with us. So... They're a little nervous. I'm going to say that to begin with. The other thing I'm going to say is uh, we don't have, you know, exactly a state of the art studio. We got a we got a decent one. And but it, it looks like a studio. It looks like a studio. It functions like a studio. Feels like a studio. Hey, there's no duct tape anyway. There's no duct tape exactly. Well, it's all underneath the desks <laughs> anyway. Um, uh, but I guess what I'm referring to is microphones and things like that, and that's what this is about. He says, uh, now that I've got the positive crap out of the way, because he said some nice things about our show. <laughs> he says, let me get to the important stuff. Uh, I listen to the show at work since when I'm at home, I'm either spending time with my wife or brewing beer. Because I'm at work, I have to listen to the show at a reasonable volume, and this is where the problem comes in. Justin's voice is broadcast at twice the volume of anybody else in the show, so when anybody else speaks, I can't hear them unless I turn up the volume. Then when Justin chimes in again, my office neighbors wonder what's up. This is further compounded by the fact that Justin, while funny, rarely has anything relevant to say. (laughs) So I miss quite a bit of the learning stuff on the show. I know you aren't a big-time radio production and have limited money and probably can't fix the problem. Just want to let you know my problem. So, I think he tried to fix the problem already by yelling at me to keep my face in the in the microphone. I did. I told Doc before the show, uh, and I and I do try to coach everybody in the beginning. You got to stay right up on the microphones. So, a couple of comments about this. Uh, okay, I don't have many relevant things to say. In, in Justin's, Justin's defense, here he's the one that keeps the thing rolling. You know, the the. People freeze up. They don't talk. Whatever. Justin hates any kind of dead airspace. I think he has nightmares about that. So I do. Cold sweat. Right. So he he just keeps the thing rolling. Keeps it from getting any dead spots or you know yeah. awkward pauses. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I, I guess it's funny. I don't know. I'm wondering if my feelings are hurt or I think it's funny. I'm still on the border there. It's funny. Yeah, I go with funny. <laughs> yeah, I go with funny, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, you funny too. <laughs> I do turn up everybody's volume as loud as I can. What happens is, as the show goes on, everyone everyone remembers that I tell them to stay on the microphone right at the beginning, and then as the show goes on, they get real comfortable and have a couple beers and sit yeah. back in their chairs, and there's only so much I can do. So I, I don't think he was talking about turning us up. Well, as much as turning you down. Actually, now, now, now this is now this is the interesting thing, and and you'd have to understand a little bit about audio equipment. I have it set so that it doesn't matter how loud I am; I'm never louder than the rest of you. If you speak into the mic properly, it actually limits the volume. And I watch the meter the entire show. So right now, I'm at the volume that every one of you should be at. And it, and this kind of again goes back to uh, I have a little broadcast experience and know how to use a microphone, so I project, right? But if I were to turn everything down, then it would all get muddy. It all has to do with the equipment that I'm using. So the only thing I can do is keep turning everybody up because turning me down would muddy all of the other vocals as well. 
and uh, like I said, you got to know a little bit about the equipment I'm using, but that's kind of the bottom line. So we don't want to know about your equipment. <laughs> everyone's going to have to speak up, and that's 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 the end of it. Uh, so I do apologize for the inconvenience. I suggest maybe putting on uh, some headphones while you're at work. And uh, until we can afford the microphones that pick up the nuances of everybody's voice, because we're not using microphones like that. Uh, that's the way it goes. Good, she's encouraging everybody to donate money so we can afford better microphones. A great idea, which actually brings me to a big, big, big fat thank you. Because over the past two months, uh, Doc, we've gotten some really generous and and several donations to the Brewing Network. And it's been it's been a bit overwhelming. It's been very nice. And I've been so busy around here, I haven't even gotten a chance to respond uh, to, the, to all of these donations. But... I want all of you to know that have donated. It's getting, it's gotten put to such great use. It's kept us on the air over the past couple of months. It's paid bills that uh, send this broadcast out to you and nothing else. And uh, it's been very generous. I mean, some people like really donating amounts of money that 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 blow me away. You know, and I'm not talking about people sending us their bank account, but. To me, if someone donates $100 to this cause, I'm thinking, wow, like I, $100 at the grocery store for me is a big deal. <laughs> and someone is donating yeah. that to the Brewing Network. And uh, thank you for that. And it shows yeah. us that you appreciate what Absolutely. we're doing. And it has, you just need to know, this is the most important thing, it has helped enormously. It really, really helps. So thank you for that, everybody. Um, lights are still on. Yeah, the lights are still on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess that's about it. Uh, yeah, the other ones are just people thanking us for for what we do. Who's on the phone that I've been keeping there? JP. Oh, he's up in Seattle. Uh, yeah, this is our craft. Uh, yeah, he's up in Seattle. Our World Cup of Beer report. I bet his liver hurts by now. I think I just hung up on. Hey, JP, you there, buddy? Mm-hmm. Hey, sorry to keep here, brother. Sorry to keep you waiting, man. Hey, that's all right. You know, you kind of listen to you guys waffle on. It's fun. Yeah, it's change. Great. Are you at Ralph's house? I am at Ralph's house. He's up at Ralph Olson's. At yeah, I, I, I was talking. Union guy. I was talking to Chris Graham yesterday, and uh, they were all everybody's liver hurt up there after the craft brewers thing. So. I bet. Now, do you, do you and Chris? Can you, can you guys go a week without talking to each other, or what is that? <laughs> you and Doctor Good. Hey, friends. I, I found out what you were doing there. So. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging on uh, Ralph Olson's backyard, and having a beer, and we're gonna have a stogie and. Kind of hang out, man. Can you just get, get down on all fours and start chewing hops? Maybe. <laughs> you guys going to smoke hops later? Maybe. <laughs> you going to run through the hop fields naked? <laughs> that's, that's tomorrow. <laughs> you guys have it all planned out. Well, oh, J- yeah, dude. Come on, man. JP's been up at the World Cup of Beer in, uh, what's that, Seattle? Mm-hmm, that's correct. All right. Uh, I've got a list of some of the awards that were given out there, so... Uh, maybe we can just do a short report. Uh, were you there when they were giving out these awards? No, the, they they were giving out the awards during the dinner, and the dinner tickets are like eighty bucks. And, and uh, you guys you know, were too on a cheap. Friday night, yeah, it was just like you know we spent enough money, and the dinner lasted like four and a half hours. Wow, so it's like our show. I'm glad we didn't go. But uh, so yeah, long story short, no, I was not there. Okay, well, let me list off a couple of the winners here. Um, yeah. Let's see. World Cup Beer Champion Brewery and Brewmaster for a small brewing company was uh, Brewer I Michael Plank. Brewer Michael Plank. And he won one, two, three. Uh, was it just three? I think he won three, two golds and a silver, this guy did. Yeah. Might have been even more than that. I'm trying to see if I mixed up my... No, that's right. Two golds and a silver. He won gold for his German-style pale wheat, which was Plank Leichtes Hefeweizen. Gold for South German-style Weizenbach Weissbach, which is Plank Heller Weizenbach. 
and silver for German-style dark wheat ale, which was the original Plank Hefeweizen. Our old friend Matt Brindleson from um, Firestone. Firestone Walker won uh, the World Cup champion brewery and brewmaster for a mid-sized brewing company. He won yeah. uh, five medals, two golds, two silvers, and a bronze. That's good to yeah. see. Those guys have got some good beer going yeah. on. Yeah. Did you see Matt up there, JP? What's that? Did you see Matt up there? I did, yeah. I hung out with Matt a couple times. It kicked ass, huh? Yeah, they totally did. I was really happy for him when I heard, when I heard that. Uh, this one, let's see. For large brewing company, Miller, Miller yeah. won a bunch of awards. You guys want to hear what Miller won for? Sure. Let's see. They won gold for Miller High Life, and that was for American-style lager. Uh, gold for Ice House. <laughs> uh, sorry. I used to drink that when I was a kid. Uh, that was American-style specialty lager. Gold for American-style light lager in Miller Lite. Gold for American-style dark lager, lager. And that was in Henry we- Weinhardt's Classic Dark, which, by the way, when I was 13, I thought that was a premium beer. Uh, silver <laughs> for American-style specialty lager. And that's... <laughs> he won that for OE. Uh, <laughs> holy cow! They won that for uh, Old English 800. They won a silver for American style specialty lager. Hey, when I was 12, that was a bomb. <laughs> I can't believe they're giving out awards for this stuff. Come on. Well, I mean, these are these are the categories that are specifically designed for all this crap too, you know. But what? A, I mean, it's like a what a mess. Like it's the best yeah. of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's what they should call it. For the best of this stuff. Uh, OE. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, bronze for American style specialty lager. Milwaukee's best ice. <laughs> Much different than Milwaukee's best, I'm sure. And bronze American style premium lager for Henry Weinhardt's Private Reserve. Um, That's good beer, that is. You like that, huh? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's all right. <laughs> okay. Does it seem a little odd? You know, a company like Miller entering in beer competitions. It is weird. Yeah, because they don't even they don't even use it for advertising. Like you would never know. Yeah, they they're gonna so post why, that. Why thing. do it? You, wait, you don't think that the next bottle of OE 800 I buy is gonna <laughs> say uh, 2006 winner? Yeah, yeah. yeah. metal. Yeah. Um, our old friend Vinny Chalerzo from Russian River took three gold medals. He only gets the best. I think if they gave Vinny a silver, he'd give it back. (laughs) I don't need that. Save it for somebody else. Uh, American-style IPA for the Blind Pig. Uh, That was a gold. A gold for Imperial or Double IPA for, of course, Pliny the Elder. And gold for Other Belgian-style Ale, and that was The Temptation he won a gold for. So uh, that's pretty exciting. What the hell else goes on up there, JP? Uh, Well, it's uh, the World Beer Cup. Uh, is actually it's every other year, and I think they do it in conjunction with the Craft Brewers Conference, which is every year, um, which is basically a bunch of uh, you know a bunch of uh, people in the industry who want to schlep equipment and packaging ideas and all that kind of stuff get together in a big room and let all the guys with the money come around and look at them. So is it all really sales for you too? Uh, that's what it was for us. Yeah, they actually do have talks um, that go on that I really wanted to see. Like uh, Matt Brunson was doing a uh, like a barrel talk. Yeah, and uh, but I didn't have the extra three hundred fifty bucks to get into the talks or whatever it is, so I got to walk around. But yeah, that's what Chris and I did. We walked around, met some cool people, talked about tanks, and talked about some other stuff, and um, you know, just met up with friends and and had a, it, was, it was a good time. We did, we definitely did a lot of sales. It was uh, kind of busy, but uh, it was good. I don't really think you guys did anything except for <laughs> drink some beer and get paid for it. 
That's kind of what it sounds Actually, like. I'm still at home. Is really what <laughs> I haven't even left. <laughs> no, uh, no I'm, I'm locked in my room, and uh, I'm going insane very slowly. So who, who won the video game uh, contest yesterday? The video game contest? Uh, well, I win every video game contest, Scott. JP I doesn't no do life. anything except for uh, does a little radio on Fridays, hangs yeah. out at B3 pretending he's working, and then uh, <laughs> plays video games. You know what? I, I'm, I'm raised on the Regan Dillon school of work, which is as long as you're moving, no one knows that you're not working. <laughs> <laughs> I always ask JP, uh, Olin's not with you up there, is he? No, no just me and Christopher Randall Graham. i got to get him on the phone, Olin, because I always ask JP, I'm like, you sit right next to the owner of B3 all day. Like, that's where their desks are. <laughs> And you don't do anything, but you sit next to the boss. <laughs> yeah. How do you do that? That's skills. Yeah. That's, that's skills. And, you know, they that's even keep true. JP away from the public now, too. They do. He's upstairs in a tiny room. And listen, listeners, you can test this. I'm gonna. Here's the test. Send JP an email. It's jp at morebeer.com. Uh, wait till next week when he's back, and you'll get a response within 35 seconds every time. Yeah. He doesn't do anything <laughs> except for sit there waiting for emails. Or, or uh, you can actually post it on the forum. You'll get it right away, too. Yeah. It's <laughs> so, so what you're saying is the fact that I actually respond to emails quickly means I don't do anything? Yes. How does that work? <laughs> because you don't ever leave the desk. Sometimes I try at weird moments. Like I'm thinking, okay, he was at the desk it, it, like a little while ago. He has to go do some work now. Or, or his screen should be doing other things. Yeah. Rather than... Right. Having that email screen up there all the time. But it never fails. Any time during the nine-hour work day, if you send him an email, 35 seconds, you get another one back. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very much an email whore. I will admit that. <laughs> I, like, I like seeing the little pop-up message code says, JP, you have one email message. And so I have to go and I have to look at it. He gets a smile know. on his face. Yeah. It's, uh, it's somebody loves someone me. Out there, someone out there thinks that I'm more important than anything else they have to do at that moment. <laughs> Weird how you've narrowed it down to that. You like that? I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, but, uh, what, are you, what are you guys doing up there? Dude, it's good to call in and hear you guys' voice. Yeah, uh, we're having a little fun. Uh, i got to keep things moving. We're, we're running okay. late. We're, gonna, we're doing a PH show today. So oh, nice. uh, why don't you tell Ralph if he wants to learn a thing or two, he should uh, tune into the Purring Network. You know what? Today. And I'll put it just like that. Yeah. Too. You tell him I said, hey, Ralph, if you want to learn something... You tune into our show. <laughs> All right. Thank you, JP. Hey, you're welcome, guys. I appreciate the report. We'll see you later. All right, brother. Later. That's cool. Hanging out with Ralph today. That's going to be a good time, huh? Yep, I think so. All right. got to take a, a quick break. Uh, when we come back, uh, no Colin yet, huh? Yeah, I was just thinking that. He comes from all the way from Napa, so right. knowing him, he's probably on his bike. See what we can <laughs> find out. It's the Brewing Network. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Brewcasters. Brewcasters on the Brewing Network. You're listening to Three Guys. Excuse me, what about me? Yeah, sorry. You're listening to Three Guys and One Girl. Use a radio show as an excuse to drink more beer. The Brewcasters on the Brewing Network. All right, welcome back to the Sunday show. No Colin Kaminsky yet. We're uh, waiting to hear what's going on with all that business so we can get to our pH discussion. 
We do have Eric Fear here ready to talk about his pH experiment. We'll get to that in just a couple of minutes. So uh, we'll be having a pH discussion regardless, but maybe not the uh, most expert one we are waiting for from Colin. We'll see what happens hey. here uh, real soon. Not that you're not an expert, Doc, <laughs> but that you didn't prepare to uh, actually hold the discussion yourself. Com- considering so. that's what you told me. Yeah. I called the other day saying, hey, you know, anything you need to know for the show? And you go, no, we got it handled. In fact, you just come on in. Hey, mm-hmm. and, and we did. When are we going to crack open the gift of the Easter Bunny? Uh, soon. I didn't get a regular Easter basket today, guys. Cause That's I don't, a good thing. I don't eat candy, so I got, like, all beer and, like, bottle openers. <laughs> yeah, and, there uh, we go. Shit like that. Couple, you got some nice stuff there. A couple of eggs to make me fart. And <laughs> <laughs> what eggs make you fart? Beer and eggs. Beer and eggs. Yeah, come on. <laughs> what does, who does not fart That's out brutal. beer and eggs right there? <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's going to be Good to know. It's going to be fun. A couple of good ones. I got one from Bison Brewery out of Berkeley. I like their beer, all organic and hippie-like. So that uh, very cool. Like that. And then I got a Lagunitas IPA, one of my favorites. And you got a nice Belgian, didn't you? Yeah, and I got uh, 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 Duvel Blue. Mm. No, uh, Duvel. It only comes Duvel. Chimay. Chimay Blue. Thank you. Chimay Blue. That's exactly. Guys, want to drink that with me later? I yeah. do. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Uh, a couple of news stories. Why don't we do that while we're waiting to see if uh, we're going to get the Colin in here and, uh, get and to talk Colin. about some stuff like this. Uh, Texas, <laughs> back in the news, but positive this time because they have now repealed their arresting of drunks in bars. You know, I, I over the Internet, I heard of that after we brought it strong yeah. at first here. Yeah. All over the internet, that was happening about people getting arrested in bars, and how everybody's so appalled with it. And Texas is just, oh my God, why are they doing this kind of yeah. thing? And it was all over different news spots, different websites. It's amazing. Was, I, w- I wasn't looking for it either. I'm pretty sure that we scooped eyewitness news. Oh yeah, Doc. yeah, I think so. <laughs> it <laughs> happens heard all it here the time. First. Like, look, I don't consider us like a extremely credible news source or anything, but it is amazing how often we're scooping the beer news. You know, like uh, the big stories that. Are, that would be on, on regular news are often here first, folks. So another reason to tune in live, because if you get the podcast a week later, you think we, we didn't bring it first, yeah. but we did. Yeah, you might be missing out. <laughs> well, one of our listeners actually sent me this article, which is cool, too. I, sometimes I, I get them from, from Texas. From people uh, sent us this article. Not a listener from Texas. This is one of our uh, longtime foreign user, forum users and uh, listeners, Linux Elf. You've seen him yep, around the forum. He was real cool. He he mentioned in his email as he sent it to me, he said, you know, uh, just want you to know that uh, if you ever think that you guys aren't doing cool stuff there, you are. Because this is a prime example of of your ranting and your media, you know, making a ruckus about stuff that, that gets shit changed. And I appreciated that. I mean, of course, I'm, I'm sure to Texas what, like, the Texas yeah. police weren't tuned into the Brewing Network <laughs> or anything. But it really was an uproar of several media agencies, you know, not just us. So that's kind of what happened. So I wonder if this was, this was broadcast from Texas, if we were in Texas, would we get arrested? In the studio? Probably so. <laughs> we would have been. <laughs> Until now, a controversial Texas program to send undercover agents into bars to arrest drunks has been halted after a firestorm of protest from the public. The Texas Alcohol Beverage Commission has temporarily suspended what it called Operation Last Call. 
even though it still believes it was worthwhile, Commission spokeswoman Carolyn Beck said on Thursday. We understand that everything has room for improvement, and this included, she said. She said most of those arrested in the sting operations had been dangerously drunk and might have tried to drive if TABC agents had not busted them. Yeah, thought crimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Arrest somebody before exactly. he actually commits I was, a crime. I was thinking about driving. What's that movie? Uh, Minority Report? Where yeah, they, uh, exactly. Where they know that someone's going to get murdered before it yeah, happens. Right. right. Freakish movie. Yeah. Although you pretty much could, t- if you if being drunk were were illegal, you could pretty much arrest me about four o'clock on any given day. Makes <laughs> <laughs> you know me very proud of you. <laughs> well, you know, how about just thinking about getting drunk? You'd be in, you'd be in jail all the time. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, give me a room and a pillow. The TABC has launched an internal investigation of Operation Last Call, and a Texas legislature committee will hold hearings on the program on Monday. The TABC announced a program in late August, but it received little attention at the time. But recent media reports that drunks were being arrested in bars provoked both ridicule and anger around the world, and perhaps more importantly, complaints from hotels, restaurants, and bars in Texas who said it could hurt business. The program drew support from groups such as as your favorite doc, Mothers Against Drug Driving. The Houston Chronicle found that 1,740, 1,740 people across the state had been arrested for public intoxication in operation last night. Yeah, but it was all those beautiful drunk girls in the bar, too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Left a sausage fest at every bar in Texas. Yeah. (laughs) So did they say anything about the arrestees? Did they they get cut some slack and let them go, or are they still going to prosecute them? Well, a good question. I'm going to guess that they're probably going to prosecute because they're still backing the you know, the move to do it and saying that public intoxication is illegal whether you're in a bar or not. I bet you're right. I bet they don't back down off of that. Maybe yeah. we ought to make but, a big stink about that. But what's a fine for that? You know, it's pretty much a misdemeanor. Yeah. Yeah. Don't ask me. I, I don't. Drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything about that. <laughs> I've never had a drunk in public. I have. Which is kind of strange. I, you got to make a big ruckus. I, ha- I We were down in Newport Beach once and uh, my friend and I were sharing a beer back and forth and he, I thought he, you know, kind of rudely, rudely grabbed it out of my hand. Oh. And I, damn, if you want one, just take another one. And if you don't want it that bad, I look up and it's like a six foot six cop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Give me back my beer, fucker. Oh, I, I, I was a drinking in public. I wasn't actually drunk in public because it was pretty much my first beer. Oh. So it and, was, so and my friend didn't get one because he was writing so many tickets that it was the last one in his pad. Yeah. And he didn't have one for my friend, so my friend didn't even <laughs> uh, get one. It, so it wasn't a drunk in public? It was a drink. Drink, drinking in public. We were down in, it was like spring break or something down in Newport Beach. You're not allowed to drink in public? Nope. You were on the street? Well, yeah. <laughs> I was on the beach, actually. On I'm the just beach, okay. All right. So that's that. I'm happy to hear that. That's a, that's good that they repealed that whole deal. We'll see if that comes back. I mean, what did they think? Like, how well that was going to go over? You know, it's funny, you see those news stories on the forums, right? And you don't really expect it to hit mainstream media, yeah. you know, like, and it was all over, yeah, all was. over the major news channels. Yeah, absolutely. Got to hear first. That's right. And what I, what you brought up last time was the fact that, you know, they were busting people in hotel bars. Right. So they're walking up to their hotel room. Exactly. They're going up to their hotel room. They can get just hammered and yeah. stumble into the elevator. Oh, wait, driving an elevator. Yeah. As intoxicated. I mean, why else stel- stay in a hotel? And, and certainly a hotel bar if you're not just going to get hammered and stumble up to your room, That's right? That's why they had the bar. Yeah, what else do you do there? <laughs> Come on. All right. Uh, 
A national poll has revealed the emergence of a new man. Mm-hmm. That's right, Doc. Uh, some of this stuff is entirely uninteresting, but other things do relate to the beer community. It's basically a poll about the old stereotype that guys will drink any beer and eat chips and uh, keep a mess in the house and, you know, the old bachelor stereotype. Uh, yeah. According to this study, that's all changing. Um, it says a national survey of more than 800 men ages 21 to 34, uh, conducted, by the way, by Miller Genuine Draft and the Kelton Research Group. All these big companies, you know, you got to put in the research if you want to sell beer, you know. Yep. That's what they're Publish doing. Publish or perish. Uh, as men move on from the days of drinking whatever beer is available and wearing baseball hats backward, they become more interested in elevating their game without sacrificing too many of their regular guy comforts. They care more about preparing a good meal, meeting friends for a beer, and owning a home than they do about amassing shoes, savoring fine wine, or dining at expensive restaurants. This new man is discerning when it comes to some important everyday and lifestyle decisions, but isn't overtly concerned about fitting into cultural molds or trends. Uh, let's see. 57% of men aged 25 to 29 say that if a woman were to just pop in, they could whip up a full meal in a moment's notice with the items that they have in the house. I tell you, when I was 25, it, unless it was going to be like ramen and peas, <laughs> it wasn't going to happen. I mean, yeah, most bachelors, you look in the refrigerator and yeah. they've got a big thing of water. Uh-huh. Maybe a Miller and, and <laughs> yeah. some baking soda. I remember the first meals that Justin served for me. It was yeah. like those weird frozen sticks, like some Mexican taco sticks or something. It was all you ever had. Are you talking about the taquitos. first couple taquitos. of months? Taquitos. Hey, there's nothing wrong with taquitos. I remember you being very proud of them. Yeah, you put a little guacamole on the side. That was not a nice dinner that You're we had. Now. Are you kidding? That's a big step up from crackers and ketchup. That's, <laughs> that's right. And I would proudly serve taquitos today, my friends. <laughs> And, and now he whips up a mean frozen pizza. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nearly seven out of ten men, that's 68%, own at least one cookbook. And 47% claim to have used a cookbook within the last <laughs> month. It's interesting. Uh, 30% of those 21 to 24 live at their parents' home, as opposed to a mere 12% of those 25 to 29. So I guess 25 has become the moving out age. The kicking out age. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Men in these age groups also pare down their number of roommates. Ah, eh, blah, blah. Who cares about that? Uh, let's see. 55% of those in the 25 to 29 age say that they try to keep their living space as neat as possible as often as they can. <laughs> However, they're not bringing in help to do the dirty work. Uh, only 1% of those 21 to 24 hire a maid, and only 3% of those 25 to 29 hire a maid. I don't think that has to do with anything like of of evolution. That's cash, right? Who's got yeah. cash before they're yeah. twenty five, right? Not me. And I'm well. I think it's 25. you know, from twenty one to twenty five. It's that's the time it takes to realize your mom's not there to do it for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Here, here's the good stuff. Forty four percent of men surveyed uh, said a good beer is their drink of choice, which is more than twice as many uh, who preferred hard liquor. That was only twenty one percent, and more than three times as many who chose wine, which was 14%. 32% of men aged 25 to 29 want to find a woman they can enjoy a cold beer with, while only 15% want to find a woman who can get them into the best restaurants in town. 
<laughs> yeah, I guess that's an important thing for some people. For men ages 30 to 35, the difference is even greater, with 39% having a beer-loving dream girl, while 14% would choose the woman with the restaurant connections. A beer-loving dream girl. Yeah. And a flathead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Almost one-third, 31% of men who preferred wine to beer or liquor own ten or more pair of shoes. <laughs> I don't know what that has to do with anything. Where do they come up with this? <laughs> I don't know. Why Sounds are they like asking about this? stupid study to me. Uh, let's see. And where does Miller come in on this? Yeah, where's Miller? Well, they're just trying to figure out how to market to these people, I guess. They just funded the thing. Yeah. Check this out. Men become more sophisticated with their dates, like uh, dinner versus mini golf, as they get a little bit older. 50% of those aged 25 to 29 say they'll do dinner or drinks for a first date, as opposed to 38% of the younger 21 to 24 set. But they're not going too far when it comes to mixing culture and romance. Still, only 3% of both age groups say they'll go to a place like a museum or an art gallery for a first date. (laughs) Imagine a first date in a museum. Oh, yeah, nothing's uh, quite excitement. Ah, not only is it boring, but you're instantly going to start arguing, right? Like, you got to, like, argue. What do you think about that? Like, you, you want to start off on that note? Come on. My first date was at a Berkeley lecture. And Natty's, Natty says that his first date was a Berkeley lecture. This is a guy who hasn't had a job in a month and a half, and, by the way, is in the studio playing poker to earn his rent money for us today. <laughs> I had, He's like, i got to go home and play poker. I said, why don't you do it in the studio so we can keep everybody updated? Are you winning yet, Natty? I lost a uh, tourney for five bucks, but I'm back in it. You're back in, huh? Yeah, 380 people. Good okay. Luck to Natty. Good luck, Natty. It's it's it, he needs to pay the PG&E bill and uh, and 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 pay his rent. So I think uh, he has lost three tournaments already since we started the show. You've yeah. lost three no, just tournaments. One. Just one. <laughs> I call bullshit. <laughs> yeah, my PG&E bill is nothing like your guys. Oh okay. my you got a small Don't remind me. Bill, he says, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, uh, very interesting things there. In the news, and uh, keeping Natty uh, living under a roof is a good thing as well. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's looking like we're going to have no Colin, which, you know, bumps me out and, and pisses me off at the same time. Uh, you know, if I were David Letterman, I'm sure that you, you'd show up, wouldn't you? Or Conan O'Brien. Or Conan. Or Conan. Yeah, it's all right to uh, it's all right to not show up to the Brewing Network, but uh, you wouldn't do that if you were booked on on the Late Late Show, would you? Uh, no. Fuckers. <laughs> what are you gonna do? That's okay. Eric Beer is here with his uh, pH experiment, and we're gonna start off with that when we come back because it's gonna be uh, a pretty thing. You want to set it up, Eric? What did you do uh, as part of your experiment in the pH process? Let's just talk about how it came to be. Yeah, I gotta I gotta preface this one a little bit. Let's do that. First of all, I I just have to state that. Uh, I, I am no chemist. <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> I am no chemist. I, I, my, my role in this whole thing was pretty much the brew monkey. So uh, John uh, John approached me uh, a couple of weeks ago and says, hey... Uh, and by John, of course, you mean chicken boy. That's yeah. right. Fitty G. Right. <laughs> Fitty G. Uh, John approaches me and says, hey, how, would you be willing to uh, help us out on the on the Brewing Network show? I'm, I want to do a pH experiment, but, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really have time to brew. <laughs> Uh, that kind of cuts him out of the whole loop. <laughs> yeah. I have to do this, but I can't do this. All right. Can you do this? Go on. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I can do that. I got a little bit of spare time. So he, uh, he gives me the breakdown of what he wants done, which is basically three five-gallon batches back-to-back. Yeah. Back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. Three five-gallon batches in a day you yep. have to do. Nine hours. <laughs> 
Why did you even? Uh, I mean, I, I'm glad you did, but why did you agree to do that? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. It, it was actually fun. I, I'm glad I did it. It was a good day. The hell yeah. did John have to do? <laughs> you know, John. Uh, I guarantee you that that day that you were brewing for nine yeah. hours, John was the sun tanning in Santa Cruz. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> he, he did lend me his carboys and one incredibly dirty boil kettle. Oh, nice. I mean, it was it was horrible. It took uh, it took two days just to soak it in uh, in PBW to get all the schmag off it. He really yeah. only hired you because he needed his boil kettle cleaned. <laughs> yeah. He didn't really care about the experiment. Yeah, he got uh, he got fifteen gallons of beer and a clean kettle out of. It, so, you know, what are you going to do? You know, now that I think about it, he had asked me, he's like, um, hey, we have to do this experiment. I was like, what, do you got a frog in your pocket? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, we what's this we stuff? <laughs> I said, I got lots to do with the show, man. Why, how about you do it and uh, send me the report? <laughs> Which I, And he's like, okay. Which I guess he then came to Eric and said, hey, Eric, how about you do it? And then send me the report. Because I have a big sucker written all over my forehead. You know, oh, Eric will do it. He'll do anything. I love all the delegation that goes on at the Brewing Network. We just keep delegating down <laughs> farther and farther. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, we're still... <laughs> I just think that's funny. Good old chicken boy. Here's our tribute to you, chicken boy. <laughs> we're all doing the chicken dance for you. We might have Colin on the phone now. He's he's like, oops. I bet I bet his excuses, John, forgot to tell me the show was today. Either that or his brewery's underwater, and then boy, do I feel like a jerk. He's like still uh, he's bailing out water right now. I would be there, except that I'm still up to my knees in water. Is that Colin, Danielle? Okay. Hey, Colin, what's happening? Hey, Justin, how you doing? Oh, we're doing all right. What's the word, my friend? You know, I just got a phone call from uh, saying that I'm supposed to be there, and I was <laughs> thinking it was next weekend. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, way to, way to follow up, not on your part, but on, on ours, apparently. Um, well, mine, too. <laughs> a couple of months ago, I was uh, a couple of pints into the evening, and I got a call from John and agreed to come down and talk about water and... Yeah. And then promptly just remembered that it was this month sometime. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> nice follow-up, John. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, what do you want to do? You want to stick on the phone with us and do it that way? Well, you know, maybe I should call you from a landline if we want to do that. That'd be perfect. Um, because this phone kind of breaks up a little. Okay, let's do that. i got to take a break right now anyway, so uh, why don't we do that, and uh, when you get to a landline, you can call us back. Okay, I'll, I'll call you. I'll call you back in a few minutes. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, Colin. Thank you, Justin. All right, buddy. Now there you go. So uh, it's John P at thebrewingnetwork.com, <laughs> and if you want to send any comments to that address, nobody in this studio cares. I will. <laughs> All right. So when we come back, uh, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna we're gonna go in detail. Actually, now that we've uh, prefaced. Uh, Eric Beer's experiment. By the way, go to onebeer.net if you want to read about this experiment. When we come back, we'll talk all about it and find out exactly what you did. And then we'll get Colin on the telephone here, and we'll actually have our pH discussion after all. We'll be right back. You're tuned into the Brewing Network. Colin Kaminsky from Downtown Joe's and Eric Beer is with us. You're listening to the Brewcasters on the Brewing Network. The Brewing 
your life. One beer at a time. Welcome back to the PH Show. Colin Kaminsky is going to be calling us up here real soon. And Eric Beer from OneBeer.net is going to help us out and do that whole thing. And uh, not in the studio today is Chicken Boy. <laughs> Just so everyone knows. It's good fun, though. All right. Mr. Beer. Which, by the way... Yeah, what is it? Is how it? the hell did you get so lucky yeah. <laughs> to be named it? You know, it's funny. Growing up as a kid, I was always, you know, chastised on the playground. You know, I was always like, oh, look at that kid's name is Beer, Beer the Queer, Beer this, that, other. Believe right. me, if there is something to be said, I have heard all the beer jokes. Yeah, but now, it, like, it, when you're young, I, I can see, okay, not so cool. Sophomore year in high school, oh, it, it got real switches, cool. right? Like, <laughs> it got real like, cool. Which is the perfect time, because right now, like, all of a sudden you're ready to get laid, and you, now it's like, oh, now it's not Beer the Queer anymore, it's um, yep. it's Mr. Beer. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's good, and you know, people comment it everywhere I go. I get a comment on it. That's so cool, man. Yeah, I had a guy in high school. His name was Beer Scott Beer, actually. So I just so like cool. I don't even want to call you Eric. I just want to call you Beer. <laughs> Most people do. But then every time I go, hey Beer, I'm, Danielle is going to think I'm sending her back to the fridge again. Yeah, that's my command usually. <laughs> hey Beer. <laughs> yeah, that's not out of the ordinary. It's either that or a <laughs> smack on my forehead with the empty glass <laughs> from across the room. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a beer. We're not married yet, so no. <laughs> yeah, All right, I got uh, pH questions starting to come in, but we got to do our tasting uh, very quickly, which today is Amstel Light, by the way. Uh, always trying to pick beers that, that everybody can get while also uh, finding quality for you as much as we can. Uh, I'm going to go ahead out on a limb right now and say that if I'm actually going to buy a light beer, which isn't, uh, you know, which is very, very rare. There are two that I will buy. Amstel Light is one of them, and actually Gordon Biersch Light. I like that one. I don't even think Dan likes to talk about that one. <laughs> he didn't <laughs> but, mention it, did yeah. he? Yeah. But I do like that one. If if I'm going for, a, you know, sometimes you you just don't want to like fill up. You you know you're gonna drink a lot and you don't want to feel like you weigh 300 pounds, so you you go for the light beer. And uh, Amstel is one of the ones I'll pick. What do you guys think? When, when is it that you don't think you get a drink a lot? <laughs> <laughs> Good point. I guess it's just a matter of whether or not I feel like weighing 300 pounds that day. You guys ever uh, pick yourself up an Amstel Light on purpose? Yeah, I do. Yeah? Um, yeah. My mother-in-law really likes it, so whenever I'm at her house, it's, she offers me a beer, and I can pretty much tell it's going to be Amstel Light. Nice. She knows not to hand me a Coors or anything. Right, right. <laughs> Okay. It's sometimes it's uh it's the best option too. You know, I I'm from the Midwest, small towns, you know, and right. this is uh Bud Miller Coors land and and that's all there is available and and usually if you, there's something alternative yeah. on the menu, it's going to be an Amstel. Right. I, I agree with that. It's definitely one of the best option beers if you're in the yeah. BMC land. Well, it, it's not a light Miller. It's not a light Coors. Yeah. It's actually like a light Pilsner, European Pilsner. Well, Let's talk about it. Um, it definitely has a lot more flavor, I'm going to say right now, which is what I like about the Gordon Biersch, too, than your average light beer. You know, it's not an American-style right. light beer. You get a lot of that uh, that Hellas lager type of flavor out of it. Yeah. There's a lot of from the from the Pilsner malt that they use. Okay. Uh, I'm sure a lot of it's yeast-driven. Uh, the color of it's probably about a 5, maybe a 6 SRM instead of the 2, 3 that you'd more normally see. Yeah. 
Is it really? Is it a, a strong corn flavor that you get out of that? No, no I don't get You're the not corn. That? No, I, I'm smelling it. I get a lot of sulfur. Okay. I get that a lot. Water? No, that's from the the lager yeast. Okay. That, that usually pumps out. Usually, most lager yeast will pump out a lot, a lot of sulfur, and it usually will scrub out yeah. by itself. But this is definitely right there in the nose. Yeah. And as much as I say it has flavor as opposed to a light beer, it's still fairly bland on the palate. There's it is. not a there's not a lot of things you can pick out anywhere that uh, that you're noticing from. Well, it's this. definitely malty or yeah. maltier. You get that's what you get. It's kind of a grainy maltiness out of it. Especially after the third or fourth sip. That first sip, I, I thought, uh, shit, what am I going to say about this beer? Yeah, it, it tasted pretty <laughs> yeah. much like water on the yeah. first sip. Right, right. But it's, it's warming up a little bit too. So. It, I, I, any kind of beer that's going to have a malt profile to it, you really don't want to drink it really cold because it just drops out and you're not going to taste anything. Yeah. Real so light carbonation in it also. I mean, I'm not saying it's not the, to style, but uh, as opposed to, say, an American-style lager, uh, a very light, I think, amount of carbonation in there. That's right. not that not yeah. that low. I'd say it's you know, 2.3, probably 2.3 mm-hmm. volumes yeah. instead of like a 2.6 or 2.7 that you might get out of something Americanized. Okay. I mean, that does tend to change the the profile and the mouthfeel right. quite a bit. Right. Okay, so not a goddamn thing to say about Amstel Light. Let's go on to pH, huh, kids? Eric, what was your experiment uh, exactly in the in the beer deal? <laughs> you did uh, three five-gallon batches in one day, all of them of the identical recipe. Absolutely. Same recipe, uh, three batches. So once I got the lowdown from John and uh, actually found out we could probably get a beer done in, in 14 days. Okay. So we uh, went ahead and made a, a relatively light uh, recipe here. This was 10 pounds of German pills and a pound of crystal. So not a whole lot going on there. Okay. Uh, the gist of the experiment really was... Uh, to alter uh, all three batches, alter the pH in, uh, using a different buffer. But trying to get the same pH. But trying to get to the same target pH. So I used uh, lactic acid uh, for one batch, uh, phosphoric acid for another, and then I used uh, five-star uh, pH uh, stabilizer, the 5-2, I think is what it's called, from, mm. uh, from five-star. Okay. And tried to hit the uh, target pH in each mash to get it down to 5.2. Okay. So before we go there, I might shuffle over to Doc. Would you want to talk a little bit about why you would uh, alter your pH in a mash? Do you want to go there? Yeah. Uh, Kind of a preface of this, if you're not doing all grain, at least a mini mash, doesn't matter to you. pH doesn't mean a thing? No. It doesn't matter unless you're doing a mash. Okay. So what you're trying to do is get... Well, why why is that? Why can't I control my pH on a mini-mash? You know, that's a, you have to at least be doing a mini-mash. Oh, so I can do it on a mini-mash. Right. But, but ex- if you're not doing extract, at least... A, there's no, nothing there's no you point. can do. Okay. There's no point. It's done. Okay. So what we're trying to do here is uh, standardize and get to an optimal pH, because that's where the enzymes like to work. Okay. And you're mostly with your alpha and beta and trying to keep it in a certain range. And it has a lot to do with you're going to, at a higher pH or a lower pH, you're going to stress one of the enzymes over the other. And a good window right in the middle, so they both work pretty well, is at 5.2. If you're a little high, uh, you're going to get 
one kind of beer out of the mash, you got to get it, get to have it uh, uh, less fermentable. Okay. And if you get too low, you're going to have it more fermentable. So you can change it around if you want to mess with it. But a 5.2 is right in the middle, and it's a good window to have. If you really miss the target, your efficiency is going to go down too. So okay. that's why you really want to hit. Try that's why everybody tries to hit 5.2 and stabilize there. Certain things will change it one way or the other. Uh, what water you're using will will make it start. Generally, uh, your mash is going to make it. The buffers in the mash itself really like to settle down at right about 5.2, 5.3. If you've got a lot of dark grains, it's going to pull up more acidic, and it's going to be down to 5.1, 4.9. And if you if it's really uh, alkaline water that you're using and real light beer, you're not going to get down to 5.2. And that's usually when this comes in, why you're acidifying your water and your mash or using the 5.2 as a buffer to get it down into that range and keep it there. Okay. That's your optimal thing to make the enzymes work in the mash, which is the whole reason you're doing the temperature. Temperature is only one part of the whole mash thing. Okay. The pH is the other part, and then so is mash thickness. So you can change all that stuff around and really work your mash. Okay. All right. I think we got Colin on the line here, so let me get him on here before we move forward. Hey, Colin, are you there? Yeah, I am. How are you guys doing? We're doing real good. So we're talking about an experiment that Eric Beer did. Uh, he's here in the studio with us today. And uh, what he did was take three different batches, three different five-gallon batches of identical uh, recipe and tried to do the mash uh, at identical temperatures and get the, the uh, gravity as close as he could get, which uh, by looking, you can go to onebeer.net, any of you folks at home that want to look at it. Uh, you did pretty well about getting your original gravity on all of them. I was, uh, I was shocked by you, that. You, you, you were know, real was, close. Yeah, I was really happy. And then what he did, Colin, was uh, in the first batch, uh, to get, he, he tried to get each one to a pH of 5.2. And in one of them, he used 5.2 stabilizer from Five Star. In the second batch, he used phosphoric acid to get it to 5.2. And in the third batch, he used lactic acid to get it to 5.2. So uh, we're going to kind of use that as a basis of discussion here and, and find out how the experiment went. And we've also got uh, Eric's beer here to taste to see if we can uh, taste any differences about those three different methods of, of getting to that pH. But before we do that, uh, Doc has just described for us why one would want to control pH. So why don't we begin talking about the different ways to control a pH in a, in a mash so that you can get the proper things. Uh, do you want to chime in real quick, Colin, about why it's important to control the pH? Well, it, it, I mean, it's absolutely critical to control the pH, and, and it goes all the way through the process, not not only just in the mash tun, but also in the boil kettle as well. Okay. Um, hop, uh, hop bitterness characters um, at high pHs are, are actually really vile. Um, right. Even, okay. you know, what it, it's quite easy to accidentally make a beer that's uh, pH 5.8 in the boil. And even at uh, a pH that seems low like that, um, you, can, you can extract really bad off bit, bitterness off flavors from the hops. Okay. So, in addition to all of the enzyme things that have to be right to get your efficiency right, um, you're also extracting flavors. I'll be real interested to uh, see what your perceptions are of the three beers because yeah. all three of those methods of lowering uh, the pH leave 
a residual flavor trace in the beer. Okay. That is that is going to be interesting to to figure it out. And and what is it that causes that residual taste? Is it the actual you know items that you're putting in there that yeah. if they have off flavors? Well, you taste you taste it. Taste it these. acid, for instance, only gives up. It has three hydrogens to donate to try to acidify. But at the pHs we're talking about, it only gives up the first one, um, so that the rest of the molecule survives in somewhere into the rest of the process. Okay. Now I don't know if it all makes it all the way to the glass. I certainly taste a difference when I use a la- uh, phosphoric acid versus some of the other acids I use. Okay. And have you used lactic acid as well? You know, I, I I have, but not in a controlled enough environment to get a good feel for it. I just bought a gallon of it, and um, it's on my summer schedule for things to play with, but I haven't gotten there yet. Okay. Now, I think it's interesting to note about these three methods that you did here, Eric, uh, and 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 in methods to change the pH. Uh, it's interesting that Five Star has the 5.2, and the, the kind of the point of their 5.2 stabilizer is not to have to do very much. Exactly. You, supposedly yeah. you throw it in there, and it puts it to 5.2 hands down no matter what. And uh, Did you find that to be the case with you, uh, Eric, when you threw the 5.2 stabilizer in? Yeah, it took it right to 5.2 for me. Just did it. it no it, no tweaking, nothing. Yeah, it didn't have to do a thing. Um, okay. In fact, that's the first one I did because I wanted to use that as my base because just in case the 5.2 took it to 5.4 or 5. I wanted to make sure that I did the follow-up batches as close as I could get. So right. I did that one first, and it, and it did. It was 5-2 on the money. Just throws it down. So that's kind of the beauty of that as a, as a way to, to get your, your pH right. Uh, the other ones, Eric, you had to actually kind of measure it. So I'm reading here about your process. So with the phosphoric acid batch, when you were adding phosphoric acid in order to get the proper pH, which was in this case 5.2, you had to add one milliliter at a time. And then keep taking a measurement until you got to the right spot. Right. So I had a uh, I had a glass pipette, and I'd drop in a, um, a mill at a time of, of the acid, uh, whichever one it was. And then I had to mix the mash really thoroughly to make sure, uh, you know, to make sure I got it completely mixed in and then take a reading. Okay. Right. And then another milliliter, and then, ma- you know, then mix the mash and then take another reading. Right. So it, does it, does it kind of mess with your mash temp and, and your mash in general that you got to... You know, mix it around every time you do that. You know, and uh, actually, in the way that I mash, um, and, and I think I actually got this from from Doc, is I take my uh, I take my uh, my mash water, and I I take my mash water at the temperature that I actually want it, say 153 degrees, and then I add the grain, and the grain takes it down in temperature, and then I'll slowly I have a my mash tun is on direct heat, so I can turn the heat on really low, and stir. And then bring the temperature up real slowly to whatever I want. Okay. So I uh, I actually did the mash I did the mash uh, pH test when it was probably around 142 145 degrees something like that. Got the pH right and then brought it up. Okay. So did you find that when you're adding milliliter at a time that pH stayed the same, stayed the same, stayed the same, and then dropped off? Yeah, the first one didn't. The first milliliter did did little. You know, I don't even think I even saw a difference. Well, that's what a lot of people don't realize when they first start titrating like that. That there's buffers in there. Yeah. And you, until you use up all the buffers with the acid, uh, it'll stay the same, stay the same, move down a little bit, and then the bottom drops out. 
Right, right. And that, that may have been, have been what I found with the lactic acid. Uh, when I did that as the third batch, I, uh, since I had four milliliters in the first mash, I started with three of the lactic acid, mm-hmm. and it was off the chart. I mean, it was way too low. I think I was down under five. Right. And I don't, so I'm not really sure if I didn't mix thoroughly enough, and I just got a, uh, you know, an acidic reading. Are the concentrations um, the same of the acids? Uh, That's a good question. Yeah, no, the phosphoric, if you got them from beer, beer, more beer, the phosphoric would be roughly 30%-ish, and the lactic would be 89%. Yeah, that would would explain it, yeah. Colin, have you... uh, have you used a 5.2 stabilizer at all? You know, I, I haven't used it. I, I uh, A very good brewer friend of mine tried it in his brewery, and uh, neither of us liked it. Oh, okay. Uh, what I've heard a lot on the forums is most people having problems with doing dark beers. Oh, okay. The, the flavor profile after uh, yeah, it's Yeah, just because it makes it, I think it pulls the pH down okay. too far. And kind but of what, well, and that would be a problem because uh, you don't want you know you you could easily use the dark malts and get the pH too low. Right. I mean, you know, let me just go over real quickly the the way I set the pH in the brewery. Okay. Is I do a water analysis in the morning and I measure how much calcium, how much magnesium, um, and how much uh, uh, carbonates I have in the water in the kettle that day, and okay. I then run it into a little uh, spreadsheet that I've developed that calculates the uh, cobalt uh, residual alkalinity, um, which is a really easy little thing to calculate. When <laughs> you Justin, Justin's eyes just rolled in the back of his head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go and, to sleep. And he, at that point, I can calculate exactly how much acid it'll take to get to the res- residual alkalinity that that recipe wants. And from brewing the same recipes over and over again, I know, you know, if I hit my residual alkalinity at, say, 10 for a porter or for my porter, then it's going to work out. And, okay. you know, but for my my wheat, I want to be minus 30. Okay, all right. And hang, then hang on, what I on, do then is on, I, I calculate on. an acid addition. Colin, Colin, yeah. hang on a second. <laughs> <laughs> I got I got to do this because uh, I need to know, first of all, uh, I, I want to know about residual alkalinity. I want to know what that means. Uh, but well, basically, it compares the ratio of calcium and magnesium to carbonates. And, and cobalt realized that calcium was better at lowering mash pH than magnesium was. So he put some factors in there. And you multiply the calcium times 7, and you multiply the magnesium by 3.5. Okay. And you add those two together, and you divide it by the alkalinity all in parts per million. Okay. Now, you end up with a number that can be negative, um, and if it's about 50, then you're pretty much in the normal brewing waters of the world. But what I found in doing my research is that in the normal brewing regions of the world, people add acid. Okay. And, and they add it either by souring the mash with a lactic acid rest or by directly adding acid. And uh, for me, the acid of choice is sulfuric acid. I was going to ask you what your favorite one is. Yeah, I, I use sulfuric and hydrochloric and phosphoric. Um, you, and often, do you choose I'll, that? I'll, I'll, the recipe will say, okay, if the residual alkalinity is at 100 and you want to get it to, to 10, then you take it down the first half with sulfuric and then the second half with phosphoric. Yeah. Because if you just pull it down a really long ways with sulfuric, 
It's like adding a ton of gypsum to the water. Yeah, or the other. It leaves a bunch of sulfate ion in the water. Or the other way around, using a lot of hydrochloric, it's like adding a whole bunch of uh, chloride uh, ions. Calcium chloride, yeah. right? And and so, I only use the hydrochloric for dark beers because they're the only ones that tend to to uh, tolerate the chloride ion. So, where, whereas what we're going to be talking about here is figuring out the pH of, of your water, and then as you're saying, you know, you want to know the pH of your wort then, too. You're well, not, you can't, uh, the you, pH of your water is totally irrelevant to the pH of your, of your vert. Yeah. The, uh, and, and that's what, that took me a long time to get my head around. But okay. I can literally make water in the brewery that's pH 8, yeah. that'll mash in at 5.2. Okay. Um, or 5.3 is a, is a is my target for some reason, but whatever. So the the other thing I can do is make a, a water that's pH of 6 that'll mash in at 5.8. Okay. And the only way I was able to get control over that was by calculating the residual alkalinity. Now, that's what I was getting at, because even, you know, so, so that I can just confuse myself a little further, <laughs> is that in the end, you're only concerned with the pH because you're concerned about the residual alkalinity. Well, I'm only con- no. It's the other way around. I'm only concerned about the original, the uh, residual alkalinity because I'm concerned with the pH of of three places. I want to know the mash pH. Yeah. I want to know the pH of the final running, and I want to know the pH of the boil. Okay. And I make take all three of those measurements every day. Okay. All right. Let me back us up then uh, a little further, even because uh, I get it. I'm not. Uh, I understand what you're saying, but. Now, in and I think it has to do with with figuring out your residual alkalinity. Why five point two? It's not five point two for every beer, is it? You you want a pH of of a different value depending on the style of beer that you're brewing, or is it always you always want five point two? Well, he was saying he wants even five point three, but what he's doing is he's figuring out with the water that he's got and the recipe that he has what's he got to do to make it end up at five three. Yeah, five five three ish. Yeah, I, so I find it's a you know it, keeping the it, the it, what's really important to me is if I'm down around there I'm fine, and as long as I get in the boil kettle and I'm fine, then you know I'm good to go. The the nightmare beers are where you you know you get in the boil kettle and you've extracted a bunch of ash by letting the pH go too high um, during water, and you know, the, all of a sudden the kettle's sitting at 6.0, and it, the hot flavors it extracts are vile. I mean, it's imagine the you know the worst home brewed beer that wasn't infected. Hey, don't and, talk and about that. That's what you can get by screwing this all up. Right. Okay. Okay. Let me back up again. <laughs> <laughs> but this is but this is much more simple. Uh, since we're talking about it. How the hell do you measure pH? I've got some questions about different methods of, of measuring uh, measuring pH. There's simple ways with a pH paper or a pH meter. Okay. So, yeah, that's uh, so one question was here is, is how are you measuring the mash pH with meter or strips? You know, so that's the, stri- the papers, the strips. Doc, that's yeah, what you're talking papers about? Yeah, papers and strips. And they have a new kind of strips. What was the name of that? Uh, the new They're kind of strips are called Color Fast. Uh, mm-hmm. Color Fast with a pH. <laughs> Okay, so um, that's very clever. Like, like fat. Yeah, yeah, like fat. <laughs> so for for this experiment, I had actually intended to use uh, a pH meter, and the one uh, that John, John gave me him. was uh, was broken. Huh? Gee, figured uh, that one out. Fortunately, he had given me. Uh, <laughs> 
I see where this is going. It's going to be a new theme. <laughs> okay. Uh, fortunately, I was I was set up with a backup. I had the old style uh, pH strips, which is uh, just a, a uniform piece of paper. You stick it in there, and it turns you know into a range of color, and you can paper. E- exactly yeah, litmus paper. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, those are those are. Um, I'm, those I'm, are open to interpretation. Yeah, really yeah, are. definitely. Is it darker because it's wet? Is it, you know? I, I found it pretty difficult to read, and I'll be honest. I, I haven't done much with pH. I'm a I'm a five two guy. I throw it in there so I don't have to worry about it, and, and that's pretty much it. Okay. Um, the new strips, though, these color fast strips, they actually come in increments of point three. So you uh, you stick this little tab in, and the color comes out. And instead of seeing a color variation from say five to six in a in a very you know vague uh, reading, it goes from five to five point three as ah. a different color. So it's much more accurate. Okay. And okay. I felt I felt a lot better about using the the color fast strips than I did the old uh, than I did the old paper because of the accuracy and sure ease, sure. ease of yeah. use. Okay, how about this? Uh, a listener wants to know if you can use the pH kit for testing pool water. You know they got those, and I've seen those. It's a little three tiered kit with pool yeah. water, and you you dump it in. I'm it trying to remember if it's a, your, if it's the pool. right range. Oh, okay. Colin, you know anything about that? No, but uh, the same company that makes those Hotch has uh, HACH. Has a ton of water test kits, and they're they're a blast to play with. That's what I do. I I do three titration. Thank you. In the morning, and um, they're a little hard to read when you first do them. But after you do them every day, it's really easy. You know, I'm I'm a lot more accurate. I think there's also a, a test strip that Hatch has that I really like, and it's got. I wish I had the part number for you. It's got five pads on it, and one gives you chlorine, one gives you free chlorine. One gives you alkalinity, um, one gives you hardness, and the last one gives you pH. Yeah, I've used those before. Not in, oh, for my spa, really not for my not for my beer though. But yeah, it's a, little pads along the same strip. Yeah, and you put them in, and they change color, and they can they tell you quite about what's going in there. And by the way, I think Colin makes a good point. I can't think of a more fun way to spend a morning than to take three different titration readings. <laughs> well, you know, it, it gives you a chance to sip your coffee before you get hot and sweaty, Matthew. <laughs> That's true, I guess. Uh, okay, how about here's a, uh, just a question about using a meter um, for any one of you. This person says, I have a hand-me-down pH meter that was not stored correctly. The probe is dry, and there is some fuzzy mold growing on the end of it. Get a new one. Yeah, last time I had fuzzy mold on yeah. the end of my probe, I went to the doctor. <laughs> how, how, not me. How can it be safely cleaned and salvaged? Uh, usually, uh, you should just change out the probe. Uh, they do make... Uh, you can do that. Yes, you can. Not not all meters have interchangeable probes. Yeah, most of them. Yeah, that's the first thing you do. You could try to clean it up with distilled water and, and get it clean. And then try to calibrate it. If it goes through the calibration cycle, yeah. it'll probably be okay. Okay. But, but a lot of, uh, yeah, the, the probes only last a year. Yeah, they, yeah they only have a fixed life in them anyway. And if, oh. you, if you've got a fairly decent one, you can just change that part out without having to change out the whole thing. Yes, yeah, so that's going to say. If they only last a certain amount of time, don't you always want to buy one with an interchangeable probe? Yeah. Because otherwise you'd be buying a new one every year. Yeah, they just they get not accurate, and uh, or they just don't they don't calibrate. Yeah, they'll they'll fail the calibration cycle if you leave them dry too long. And and if you I think B three sells uh, those kind of things, or you probably find them at any of the bigger places, or Granger probably does it too. Okay. The the calibration thing though is is actually pretty important, like vital. 
Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I had never used a pH meter before. I thought it was like just a big thermometer. Right? <laughs> uh, but it turns out, you know, you have to calculate it on uh, on the acid side and on the base side with two different solutions. So uh, if you do have a hand-me-down pH meter, you want to make sure you get the calibration and, kit. And uh, the instructions to go it, with exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> so, Beer, let me get this straight. Not only did you brew for nine hours for <laughs> us, but you you had to, like, calibrate and recalibrate on, like, how many different testing, oh, me- testing methods did you use? I had a whole bag full of shit that John <laughs> gave me. <laughs> Here, try these. So it looks like, uh, you know, it looks like uh, you get these little plastic cups and you yeah. fill it full of solution. One looks like scope and, you know, one looks like listament. You know, one's green and one's red. Okay. And you calibrate your pH meter on, uh, on the high and the low side. Okay. Um, that's a little difficult to do with stripped screws. So uh, we went with the color fast strips. Gotcha. And those were, and those tend to be the easiest. And those you don't have to calibrate. Yeah, exactly. It's a piece of paper. You, you just stick a little tab in it and it changes color. And, um, you know, if, if you do go to onebeer.net, there's a picture of the uh, of the color fast strips there and you can see the color gradation. It's, um, it, it's really pretty good. It's okay. dramatic. Okay. All right, then. Uh, let's talk about these three different methods that you used. and, uh, and or, or maybe maybe instead, Colin, let me let you finish about what you do, because I interrupted you because you're blowing my mind. Um, <laughs> why don't you go ahead and finish about, uh, you know, you, I think I cut you off right about uh, residual I, alkalinity. I, I th- well, and, I think and what, what we've learned in the brewery is that if you, you know, come up with a number for a recipe, and let's say, you know, we can pick any number because it's, it's a wide range depending on, how much dark malt you're using. Um, and we pick up a number, let's say 10, and we hit that in the kettle, that when we mash in with that recipe, we hit our number. And the, the factors in the malts that affect that are, are how dark it's been roasted. So if you're using a lot of caramel 120 or a lot of roasted malt or something like that, it'll lower the pH more, and you can have a higher residual alkalinity in your strike water um, than if you're doing something that's, you know, all pale, and, and that's the hardest for us is low-gravity, all-pale recipes. Okay. Well, Colin, um, you were talking about why you need to know what the residual alkalinity is and things in your start water. Why don't you tell them why that's important um, the, with the different recipes? When, when you, okay, so when you get into the kettle, there's a chemistry that, or into the mash tun, there's a chemistry that starts to go on. And basically the phosphates in the malt, or the phosphates from the phosphoric acid. turns out that this chemistry is the same for those two. Um, attaches to the calcium. Now, calcium phosphate at the pHs we're talking about is not soluble. In fact, it's what your bones are made of. So that forms a little white precipitate that falls in into the grain husks, basically, and attaches to whatever it can. And... In the, the process of that happening lowers the pH. So adding phosphoric acid or adding calcium or adding magnesium all does that. Now the problem is, is magnesium phosphate is twice as soluble as calcium phosphate. So that's why you have the correction factors where you count seven right. calcium so it's, ions. It's half as effective. Magnesium so the magnesium is half as effective. So what you're doing is you're trying to figure out how much you have to start with in the mash water, calcium and magnesium. Calcium and magnesium to buffer as much alkalinity as I have. Right, and and you match that with whatever the recipe is, which right. which segues and, and right now into when you're adding acid, you're 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 removing alkalinity and you're adding ion. Yeah. So, you, like, if you're using, um, uh, uh, what's a good example? 
um, if you're using phosphoric and you have a low calcium water, like let's say you're in Pilsen and you try to use phosphoric acid, well, you don't end up with enough calcium to complete the reaction. Right. Um, and that can be a problem. So usually when I'm adding phosphoric, I'm also calculating the calcium ion all the way through the process just to make sure that I've got some surviving in the boil. Because if you don't have calcium in boil, your protein coagulation doesn't work out right, and a bunch of other things go wrong. So uh, also, you know, I think the point is that if you had the same water with the same chemistry and you used it on your light beer and you used it on a dark roasted beer, it would be completely wrong. For right, you. and you want to come out at the other end by adding it all together and still come out at 5.3. That's exactly right. And, and He wants to know that ahead of time. If you take the time, you can do distilled water mashes of all your malts, you know, just do a little one-liter distilled water mash and calculate the pH change that a one-liter mash has from that malt. And you can make a big spreadsheet that's got all your malts in it, and you can calculate the exact pH of your mash that day. Um, before it happens for me mm. but in a big brewery they do exactly that yeah so they know uh, before they add everything back together they know exactly what they're going to end up with and where they have to change and right and if they get a new lot of malt they'll test it colin if we sent a monkey into space that looked like <laughs> doc when it came back would it still be the same monkey <laughs> it depends if it went faster than the speed of light or not gotcha <laughs> I'd be, I, I wouldn't be as old of a monkey <laughs> of course i should have known that uh, okay, how about the, a couple of questions from the listeners, and still kind of on the same track. Um, one of them is, this person says, uh, a statement question, as long as you stick to a proper water-grain ratio, you will always hit the right pH range, right? That's what they want that, to know. That hasn't been my experience. No. Okay. I think no. that's going to vary on recipe, right? It varies on recipe because the different grains are going to pull the pH one way or the other, and it also has to do a lot with the water you start out with. Uh, if you have a straight, you know, soft water but a high pH as opposed to a hard water with a high pH, it's going to be different. Okay. You're not going to end up at the same point. Uh, how much would an extract brewer, and I think the point is the second part of the question, who doesn't really have a trained palate, uh, how much would they notice the difference in in the water? Because uh, Colin, you're saying that you know some of the differences are are just vile. And and what I want to know is how much is the untrained sort of beer drinker? How much would they notice these? Well, differences? unfortunately, that a lot of what's going on got dealt with by the the person who made the extract. So you're at their mercy for what water they chose. Okay, and, and it's all but concentrated. But when they come drink your beer, if if you did one that that had these negative results you're talking about, and one that was perfect, how much would that brewer, you know, that palate, be able to taste the difference? You know, I don't know if if the person would taste the difference and be able to explain it to me because I, I work with a lot of my customers where I'll say, "Hey, taste this. What do you think?" Yeah. And what I notice is the beers that that I think came out right, and the beers that I like, they can't. They don't necessarily pick them as the one they like the best, but they're always the one they drank the most of the sample. Okay. Hmm. And and since I'm selling beer, yeah. I figure I'm on the right path. If the sample's empty, you know, and if yeah. the sample they only took a sip out of the sample, I don't care if they tell me it's great. Yeah. They didn't like it enough to finish it. Although whatever ratio you figured out with that, I would screw it all up. By the way, because it didn't. Really <laughs> well, it, it it does definitely take a little bit of finesse. Yeah. Um, okay. And it, it took me about six months of beating my head against the wall to get my head wrapped around it. 
Does the sample, uh, does the temperature of the sample when you're taking your pH measurement affect anything? You need to have a calibrated meter if you want to take yep. pH of warm samples, but warm samples wear out your probe. Well, what about when you're using the strips? Can you do, take a warm sample with a strip? I haven't tried them side by side, so I can't answer that. I would imagine that you know, you're only doing a little bit in there, and it cools down pretty fast. Yeah, that strip, as soon as it hits air, it's so thin. I would think it would it would hit your your mean temperature and your in your brew house so quickly that it wouldn't have an impact. Yeah. But my my pH meter, I've got the bench probes because it's got a temperature probe and the pH probe, yeah. and, and it automatically. Uh, I'm saying I don't know if I if I'd agree with you, Eric, on that because just because of uh, one thing I did learn uh, in school, the one thing was that water has a high heat capacity. So we I know that the strip is thin, but I guess it matters in you surface know, area. Ha, how long is it sitting on the strip before you get an accurate measurement? That's true. Because if you're taking your measurement instantly, I'm going to say it's probably still warm. You would have to wait, you know, maybe even if it's even if it's a minute later for it to be cold. It does. Does the reading change? Do you, did you notice any anything like that? No, no. Did, did you take it instantly? You you dipped it and you said that's my reading. Uh, I probably left it in there for I don't know maybe a good ten seconds and pulled it and pulled it. Okay. Yeah. I th- actually, that would be an interesting uh, email follow up to the guys at Color Fast. Yeah. Yeah. I'll see if I can do that and post it on the forum. Because I wonder if you got to if you got to dip it and then let it sit for a bit, you know, and, and if that would change anything. I don't know. I'm just guessing. I'm, I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, Colin, maybe you can answer this one sort of uh, relatively. How many professional brewers adjust the pH of water and also uh, mineral content? I know you don't know them all. I would but, say they uh, all adjust mineral content. But okay. Only about half of them use a pH meter. Oh, no kidding. That's been my experience. There's a lot of guys that, that they just, they, if you add enough calcium and magnesium, you can lower the pH. And that's what they do is they just, pour in as much uh, gypsum and, and epsom as they can, and, and when it tastes right, it tastes right. And, and just over the years, they've learned by experience how to get their pH right. And you go into their brew house and you measure the pH, and, and it's usually right if, they're, if they've been around long enough. Okay. Uh, and if they've been but using they got there by feel instead of by, by measurement. And they're using the same water. Right. Or, or right. Or if, if they moved, moved that's to... That's what's hard for us is our water comes from three reservoirs. So one day your water can be one thing and the next day it can be totally different. Which yeah, that's why, a pain in the ass. Which is why he comes in in the morning, sips his coffee, yeah. and checks his calcium level. Yeah, that's a, that's a big difference between, a, I think, a lot of brewers, wouldn't you say, Colin? I, I know we've had some in here from San Francisco, and they get that same water from the Hetch Hatchy Reservoir. Which is snow melt. beautiful water. Which is snow yeah. melt. Oh, they love, everyone's been here, it's like, oh, we love the water. We don't touch it. We just brew with it. We don't touch it. Um... But it, but it, regardless, it's still the same every day, you know. So that is that's a pain in the ass for you, huh? Yeah, the, when I get the Millican water, um, which is really rare, they only use it to fill in when the other reservoirs are uh, problematic. Okay. Um, when I get the Millican water, that's when I brew a pilsner. <laughs> gotcha. So if I would wait, yeah. if I go there in the morning and it's like, oh, this is obviously Millican. Yeah. Um, then I'll brew a pilsner, but I I don't always catch it every year. They you don't sound- always. Colin, uh, bring it to me. So. Colin, sounds like you ought to like deliver them, you know, keg of beer and have them give you a call in the morning. Yeah. Well, you know, I would love <laughs> yeah. it because they do a water analysis every morning. Right. They do. And I'd love to just get them to email it. It would oh, save me, you know, dude. Minutes well, or so. And they know which valve they're going to turn that morning. Yeah. Yeah, they do. A uh, keg of beer is definitely going to solve that problem for you. And man. the guy who makes that decision is this really neat, fifty-year-old uh, Indian man. And does he have a beer belly? And no, he doesn't. And, uh. um, um, 
I've always assumed he's very religious, but I, I, he, I certainly haven't gotten him interested in beer at all. Uh, I have talked to him a half a dozen times. Yeah, maybe talk to him well, about you know, rocket you, science. Or you do have a, a restaurant, too, maybe a couple of free lunches. Yeah, yeah I can try it. I, I'll, I, I'd do anything to get his water analysis. Bring him some curry. All you need is just a quick email, and it tells you where it's coming from that morning. Well, they, they, yeah, and they, well, they email the water analysis around anyways. I just want to be on the list. <laughs> How do I get on the goddamn list? <laughs> yeah, you're not on the A list. Right, no, no, it, it it only goes to you know the inside the water department. All right, we got to take a quick break. Uh, you gonna hang in there with us, Colin? Yeah, sure. All right, that a boy. Uh, it's the Brewing Network. We will be right back, trying to demystify the pH process and and water chemistry. I will still be a retard at the end, but you will not. We'll be right back with Colin Kaminsky. You're listening to the Brewcasters. The Brewcasters on the Brewing Network. And now back to the Brewcasters. The Brewcasters on the Brewing Network. The PH Show, The Water Show, Part 2. It won't be uh, the end part either. Yeah. There's a lot more to this than what we're going to hit here today. We'll be doing this a lot. I'm we, telling we can. you, I am not going to work the next water show. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> poor Danielle has got to like write down these questions. And and I don't well, I, I think the main thing for people is not panic. Uh, no, but uh, it's just hard if you write something down that's not your own language, and then it's even chemistry, so you have no idea. I don't know about CA-1912. <laughs> oh, I think Nathan just won rent money. Natty, did you just win your rent? I didn't win the rent, but I'm in it to win it. You're in it to win it? How many people are left at your poker table? Natty, uh, unemployed for the past six weeks, looking for some Dude, rent. I just got to 34th place, but... um. 34th four, place, he's... No, no, but 202 are still remaining in the tournament. Uh-huh, right, uh-huh, so I'm uh-huh. Fourth out of 202. Let's just keep it going. All right, we'll check in with you, Natty. Just a little uh, a little <laughs> brainless break for us on the water shows yeah. to find out how poker Natty is doing. <laughs> I thought that'd be a just a good little break for us to do here. All right, here's what we're going to do. Colin, you still with us? I am. Okay. Uh, we are going to uh, redirect back to uh, definitely focusing on pH and what pH does for you and why you want pH and how to get your pH. And uh, what the different things you use to get it down or get it in, into line can do for the finished beer. Correct. The difference between uh, hydrochloric, phosphoric, sulfuric, whatever you're using. The ways to do them it. them as well. And yeah, you can use just using salt will do it too. Okay. Gypsum or calcium carbonate too if it's going the other way. So as we're jumping into that, we are going to taste Eric's beer, Eric Beer's beer uh, that he did his um, it experiment on. It? Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> so I feel like I have to say his whole name so people don't just think I'm stuttering. Uh, <laughs> that's what we're going to do here and, and try to get this flavor taste because I do have a few questions about being able to notice the flavor. So maybe I can preface our tasting here with a couple of our listener questions. Uh, for example, uh, this person wants to know how they can tell from a finished beer if your pH is so far off that we need to do something about it. Anybody got a take on that? Well, the the, the worst flavor I think you can get is a high pH and you add hops and you get a really harsh bitterness. 
and you end up trying to lower the amount of your first edition hops, trying to correct this harsh bitterness. Or you read the literature and they say, oh, you know, cohumulone gives you a harsh bitterness, so you try to lower the cohumulone level. By changing, different, by changing a different kind of hop. Yeah, by changing to, to, to Horizon or one of the low cohumulone hops. Um, Mag- but you'll find Mag- that yeah. controlling the pH is probably more important if you have a harsh hop flavor. Okay. Or uh, you got to check the sulfate level, too. That, well, a sulfate can make a really dry flavor. Yeah, and too much is going to make it harsh. Or with uh, too much sodium in, in that, too. But if we're talking about just pH, yeah, that's what Colin's talking about. Okay. Um, and then I guess on the same thing, are there certain beers that really benefit from proper water over others? You know, pale beers or... Yeah, the lighter the, the beer, lighter beers, the, yeah. the more sensitive it is to all of these parameters. So if we're brewing a nice porter, I don't have to care, right? Well, you know, if you're in Concord and you're brewing a porter, you probably have just about the right water coming out of the faucet. Okay. So, yeah, you're lucky that way. Dark beers and Sacramento Delta water work pretty well together. And uh, now, most of our listeners aren't from California, so is that difference you're talking about a difference between hard and soft water? Because I got a lot of questions here about hard water. And, de- and, and just to keep in mind for you guys, when we start talking about how to adjust the pH with these different uh, methods, uh, people want to know about you know hard water and soft water and how they work there. Well, I don't know who wants to answer that, but hard water and soft water is a really old term. Okay. And and it's kind of useless now. But basically, before we understood water chemistry, it was how you decided if you needed more or less soap. If you had less soap, if you needed less soap, then you had soft water. Okay. If you needed more soap, then you had hard water. And it was all about doing dishes. I mean, you know, and cleaning things. And right? doing laundry. Yeah. yeah. And. Or how much scale you had on things. And fortunately, about 1870, we learned more than that. And. And now the words are a little antiquated. We still use them because water chemistry is so complicated that it's easier to walk up to somebody and say, well, you've got hard water, you need a softener, than it is to go up to them and give them a water analysis and explain where it all came from. So technically, the hardness of water, the permanent hardness, is calcium and magnesium. But usually, if you have a bunch of calcium and magnesium, you have a bunch of carbonates as well. So it, it's the the problem for me isn't how much calcium and magnesium there is because I find that there can be lots and I can still make a good beer. The problem for me is how much carbonate there is. Okay, and is that carbonate then? You know what? You know, obviously that's what acid fixes. And that's acid what goes in there and attaches to those carbonates and takes them out of the picture. Carbonates want to keep it at a high pH. Okay. Yeah, they, they buffer to a high pH. Right? So high carbonate water means you probably need to adjust your pH. Or you need to brew dark beer. Or you need to brew dark beer. Because okay. the dark beer, the dark grains will acidify it and pull it down and kind of overwhelm the carbonates. If you try to brew a light beer in a high carbonate water, it's not going to work. So would the guys at Guinness not want a 5.2? They would want it higher than that? No, no, no. You're talking it's how to get it to a 5.2. Okay. So if you've got high carbonate water and you've got a really dark grains, you could yeah, be okay. So what, but what we're saying is that Guinness, they could use less 5.2 salt to get to 5.2. Oh, uh, okay. I got gotcha. you. It has to do with what's going to try to keep it at a higher pH, which is what the carbonates are going to do. And can you overpower that with the dark grains? 
By the way, the Gi- the Giants are beating the Dodgers two to nothing. <laughs> just in case anybody was concerned about that. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> See, I got you know I I understand what you're getting at, but uh, here here's my problem with with your answer about hard and soft water, Colin, is that I got a bunch of questions in front of me that you know the, the rest of us are still referring to things because because our understanding of water is, is of hard and soft. And we can talk. We we understand why you needed more salt, soap, and less soap. We can feel that, and and, and everybody knows. So uh, I'm I'm definitely going to need you to be able to speak to me okay, in terms well, of hard and soft water because I got questions about it from. But listeners. let's walk down that road just a little bit. So then we ended up learning that there was permanent hardness and temporary hardness. Now permanent hardness was uh, calcium and magnesium. Temporary hardness was carbonates and carbonates turns out if you have enough calcium in the water and you boil the water that they become calcium carbonate and and it falls to the bottom of the kettle because it's a, it's a white if you rack white off of that, stuff. yeah you can actually soften your water but when you're softening by boiling all you're doing is taking out carbonates you're not actually taking out any of the permanent hardness so the permanent hardness is what stays after boiling the temporary hardness is what can be boiled off. Okay. I'm so, with you. So if you've got hard water and you boil it overnight, mm-hmm. uh, you get a white, crusty precipitate that falls to the bottom. Then you can rack off of that one. It's going to take all, most of your carbonates out. But if you've got an overabundance on top of how much carbonate you have of calcium and magnesium, because mm-hmm. the calcium and the, and calcium and the carbonates combine to make the white, crusty stuff, you're going to run out of the carbonates. Okay. And then it, the white, crusty stuff doesn't come out anymore, but you still have... The permanent hardness, which is the calcium and the magnesium left over. Okay. That about right? That's about right, yeah. Okay. That's a good way to explain. And let me do this, by the way. Uh, for those of you who are, are all over this and have a lot more questions about it, good for you. Stick around and, and, you, and feel free to ask them. For those of you who are completely lost, uh, stick around as well because as Doc has you know, kind of said to me a lot of times, look, this is the last thing in the process. When you've mastered everything else... Then you come in here and sit down with Colin over a cup of coffee and measure his water in the morning with him. Because uh, then, you know, it's, it's really the last thing that you want to tackle. So don't be discouraged. Uh, and even I have a tendency of sitting here going, okay, I'm a little discouraged, but uh, I realize I don't need to be. I can get into this. It's the last part of the process you need to master. It's all about information and knowledge. And one more thing did you know about this whole thing we call right. brewing. Right. Uh, you can brew great beers without even messing with this stuff, but... It's one more tool in your toolbox. Right. Well, the nice yeah. thing about a home brewer is you can buy your water. You know, if you just go buy Arrowhead, that's water that's been run through a deionizer. You can assume that every parameter in it is about five to eight parts per million, mm-hmm. and uh, and just assume that that's where you're at, and brew from there. Add some salts and and go to town. Okay. And well, and I think that's the easiest thing for a home brewer. Okay, but, but you can't do it on your scale. Huh? On my scale, no, you can't do it at all. And that's get, a lot of jugs of Arrowhead. Yeah, I'd need 500 gallons of Arrowhead every day. Yeah, that's that's a lot. That guy would be at your doorstep every morning. Have a <laughs> coffee with you. Yeah. They'd love me. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Eric Beer's experiment here because we're tasting one of his beers. Now, uh, which batch was this that we're about to taste here? No, taste them blind. So you want to know or you want to taste them blind? Oh, we got to ta- oh, we got to taste all three blind. Okay. You're, yeah, ta- the- you're tasting the red one. That's all I'm going to tell you. <laughs> okay. okay. Labeled red. Tasting the red one. We'll we'll get the decoder ring next. Okay. It's going to be a bit of a of a radio dud because I don't I don't know what to talk about in it until we compare it next to another one. So let's we got to kind of do the other ones too. 
Are there? Yep. Are maybe you can tell me, uh, Colin and Doc. Are there certain characteristics I'm looking for in flavor that I'm going to be noticing the difference in, or do you just want me to drink another one and, and shut up? <laughs> Yeah, no, keep drinking them. I, I'm interested to hear what words you choose, because there aren't really words in our brewing language for what you're looking for. Okay. All right, that's fair enough. So we'll just, uh, we're going to do this, and, and hang in there, listeners. I'm going to try to uh, bring it back to you. We've tasted the first one. I'm going to try to remember the flavor here. Doc, of course, is doing the same. Eric, you've, you've tasted all three of these already? I have. You have? I okay. Have. Probably a lot. And, and you know, for while you guys are tasting, for... Those of you who are at home and want to learn more about water chemistry, go to a search engine and enter A.J. DeLang, D-E-L-A-N-G, um, Brewing Water. Okay. And a bunch of his articles will come up. He wrote about water for about 10 years, and it's great information. A.J. DeLang, Brewing Water. Do a search for that. Okay, so Doc just hit that one on the head. He knew immediately what uh, what the buffer was on that one. Oh, yeah, so do I. <laughs> I'm not going to say it and ruin it for everyone, but I know. Well, you got a 30% chance of being right. Yeah. Anyway, I, can, I can taste the difference. Though. Yeah, it's definitely a difference. Yeah. yeah. I, can't, I, mean, I, I don't know the difference in what you put in there, of course, but I can definitely taste the difference in the two beers. Mm-hmm. So how would, you, how would you describe the differences in this one? Well, this one to me. First one? The second one. The second one uh, to me is a smoother beer, and and kind of if if I can throw out a word that I'm, I'm usually wrong about anyway. Uh, the first one it seems to me to be a bit more astringent and uh, and have some flavors like that. Whereas the second one is a lot easier on my palate, and and I would go as far even to say as as less. Uh, I don't want to say less flavor. I guess it just doesn't stand out as much. The first one it stands out on my palate as a more of a chalky. Type of a uh, of a thing, and the second one doesn't. Yeah, I'd say the first one had a, a more of a maltier profile. Yeah, maltier, get more malt sweeter, maltier. Yeah. The second one, I'm, I would more say, rounded. Is, uh, the first one was more rounded. This one's yeah. linear, thin, thin, linear, and a little bit of tangy sourness. Yeah, kind of, almost kind of. Do you get the tangy sourness? I get the tangy sour. Yeah. Okay. And I get yeah. the thin. I guess that's what I meant by it's uh, smooth. But, but you're right, it's thin. You're it, just kind of flat. You don't yeah. get any highs, and you don't get the high malts. You don't get, uh, you know, any, any of the other differences. It's just uh, that's what I get. I prefer the first one. I do too. Yeah. All right, let's go number three. Let's because I want to keep it moving, and then and then get to the goods about uh, which ones which. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And then because then we can talk about what the flavor profiles are for those who aren't actually uh, tasting it. Uh, they can know what we're talking about. That and each one affected. And he did the best he could at keeping everything exactly the same. Uh, Mash after mash after mash is yeah, right, right, was, uh, right back to back to back. Same temperature, same uh, same mash, um, oh, same mash percentage. Justin, um, I, I should also mention that uh, my water run through uh, a regular whole house filter uh, that I do for all my brewing came out at seven. That was my start water. Oh, okay. And is that what, what kind of filter is that? Uh, let's see. I, I think that's a carbon filter. It, and it's just a carbon filter. There's no. Deionization or ion exchange going on? Not just a whole house filter. Usually, it's a carbon. Right. Yeah. Just just a straight carbon uh, cartridge. And, and I guess that's another thing. If you if anybody's running through an ion exchange unit that you have to add salt to, that um, means a water softener. It's a yeah, water softener for brewing water at all. Sodium uh, chloride's a bad ion for uh, mashes. Yeah. Well, it, it, it takes all the calcium out, which you need the calcium in the mash. 
Yeah, it makes weird off-sour flavors that are real hard to identify unless you look at the water first. Why don't you go ahead on this one, Doc? I don't know. I, I, I would like to say that I think it's it's even more tangy, but uh, you yeah, know, I'm not tasting a, yeah. a, a huge difference. Uh, almost minerally. I'd put it a little more closer to the first one, though, as far as malt profile and flavor. Yeah. But uh, somewhere maybe in between the two. Yeah. I'm going to go so far as to say that the average beer drinker is not going to pick out these differences that we're talking about here. Well, we're doing it side by side. We're back so to back? I, I think they would back to back. Yeah. I don't know. I really don't know about that. I mean, I, I, I'm saying that I can taste it, but uh, it's it's hard to put my finger on it. And it's really, some of them are some very small differences. Uh, if you're talking about a difference between it, it being real tangy and real thin, you know, maybe so, but... Overall, this third one is 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 pretty close. I'd, I'd say, say almost a little salty. This last yeah, one. Yeah, that's why I said minerally. Yeah, like yeah. it's the five two. Yeah, the last one's the five two. Yeah. yeah. So Doc Doc picked them all out, which is good. Okay, so this one that we're just drinking. Let's go back to number one. Okay. Okay, that's the phosphoric. This is the one that we th- we thought was had a little higher malt profile. Okay. All right. Uh, that was the phosphoric acid. Okay. And how much phosphoric acid did you add to this beer to get it down to five point two? Uh. Four milliliters. And you did it one milliliter at a time one and then just tested it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then you got it to 5.2. And, and, and at what point in your mash are you, are you doing this, this measurement? Uh, you know, that immediately. You do it immediately. So yeah. you've added, you, you got your grain there, uh, you got your water there, you're adding your grain in. You throw it in, get it all wet, get it yeah. all mixed nice, around. Nice, good dough in. Let it kind of settle into where it's going to be on its own. Okay. Because it's got to take a little time for the... Uh, as Colin was saying, the, the calcium and the phosphates to react together. Okay, but then you do, once that happens, you, you do it right then. Yeah, then take a reading real quick, see where you're at. Okay, and then adjust. And then adjust. Okay, and then uh, you know, do you start your your you know because you're timing your mash too? Uh, you know, something like I time mine anyway. Um, is, is that so important here? Like you know, you. you I, get, I I think time is overrated just to begin with. Yeah. Okay. It's mostly just to give you enough time to get it done. And yeah, and if it's clear, it's done. Okay. So well, you're not so worried about that. You don't need to like wait until you've got it perfect and then go. Okay, I'm starting my whatever time of mash right you know, now. Most now, people, if, right. There's, if there's no starch left, then there's no starch left. Most okay. most people, the guru guys are talking that you know, the, the mash mashes convert pretty quick. Okay. 15, 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah 15 right. minutes is, is what most people think. And, okay. and the parts that don't mash in 15 minutes are the little dry pockets or the places that didn't get stirred so well. Yeah. And really, when you're waiting, you're just letting that all soak in a little better. Okay. So you're not worried about any of that. You're just, uh, as long as there's enough if time. If you're doing an hour mash now, don't worry about it. Okay. Yeah. You have plenty of time. All right. So you added that in this one. Uh, Doc, now how did you know that, the, how, what affected the flavor in this beer that you knew that was, what was the, what was the? Well, the first one I knew was phosphoric because I, I know the taste of that one. And that one to me tastes like soda pop. It's it's exactly yeah. right. It tastes like soda pop. That's what they put in soda pop to bring that the acid level down to the pH down. Was it soda pop about a three point one? Is it that low? Yeah, it's it's really bad. Uh, <laughs> and Gatorade's even worse. And, and so hmm. since you're a dentist, what does that do to your teeth? That's really that, that's that the worst thing. It's worse than the sugar is the acid level. And yeah, it must just take calcium right out of your. It teeth does, and and the and it's it's pretty bad. Okay. Uh, even the diet sodas are bad because of the phosphate. The the pH is so low. Okay. So I know what that taste is like, and that's what I taste in there. But it made it a nice round flavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something I like. There's a very pleasant roundness to the malt profile in that one. Yeah. The second one came around, and I I know what lactic tastes like. 
and that was the one that tasted kind of sour. Okay. And, but not not overly bad, but it also made it kind of flat on the tongue. Mm-hmm. And then the third one, uh, the the 5.2 is a pH buffer, and so they're buffering with salts. Do you know what salts are using? No, that's the trade secret. I've tried to find that that one out, too. And uh, Do you, Colin? I don't. I, I've heard a rumor that there's copper involved, which is very interesting. Hmm. It was like a cupric sulfate, possibly. Well, that's the rumor, but it's only a rumor, so I can't spread it. And so whatever it is, it, it yeah, bu- you just did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it, we just spread that rumor <laughs> even farther. But it uses a different way to lower the pH. Instead of a direct acid addition, we're using a buffer that's going to overpower the the mash buffers. Okay. And the and the uh, carbonate buffers. I can hear homebrew hacks everywhere tomorrow. Going, <laughs> you know, I hear there's copper in that pH. Yeah. I could make my own. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as far as the finished product, I would say the first beer with the phosphoric acid I found to be the most drinkable. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely the most drinkable. None of these were bad at all, and, and I'd like to yeah, taste them with a little more age on them, like yeah. two or three more weeks yeah. on there, let everything mellow out a little bit, because they're, they're still pretty young. And, and they are subtle differences. You know, when you say sour, it, it, I mean, it wasn't like a ruined beer. Or no, 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 just, no, not at all. Yeah. Um, we're looking for that certain, what's the difference in the sure, flavor is sure. more what it was. So we're, we're like, that one's a little bit more tangy than the other one. But if you were drinking this beer by itself, you couldn't pick that out. Yeah. And maybe it's just because we stopped and the last one that we tried was... Uh, was the five two? Yeah, but I definitely I, I'm really getting that mineral on my tongue. Yeah, it's, the last it, one it's just it's salty, and mm-hmm. that minerally like, yeah, yeah, which might be good if you're selling beer. <laughs> you yeah. need to keep drinking more. Yeah, well, you know that's one of the reasons why I think sulfate's such a good ion, is it tastes dry. Right now, what's um, one thing that's interesting about the five two is as I used um, five stars recommended uh, amount, which is one tablespoon per five. per five gallons. And I've heard people, John in particular, always talks about using a, a half a tablespoon hmm. okay. in his batches. So yeah, I've heard that. I, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, that that might take some of that mineral finish off of the off Probably. of the beer a little bit, yet still well, get you down in the right range for uh, for your mash pH. Yeah. I mean, if it is indeed a salt, it's disassociating, and whatever the positive ion is, you know, that's in there, is is going somewhere into the flavor profile. Right. So the less you use, even though the pH stays the same, the less of that ion you're adding. And if it's, you know, one that you don't like in that style of beer, it could be very, you know, very easily it could be that half would taste better. Well, that's the, other the question is, is, do you have enough buffer for your water at half? Well, that's the old, whole other half of this whole discussion is the flavor profile you get when you're adjusting your, your water you know, content. Right now we're, we're dealing more with the pH part of it. but Which is it, your first order of business. Right, but it, it's not that simple. You can't deal with one and kind of ignore no, the other it one. It all affects the other. It all affects the other. You can't just you know build certain waters without having, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword. Now, if you want to look at process, the one thing I can say that, that I took away from this more than anything else, using the five two, you just threw that you just threw that shit in there. Yeah, you know, you didn't have to you know to dough in to then go ahead and take a reading, then you know dose, right. then do another dough in to get a solid mix, and then do but another it, reading. But the flavor wasn't your favorite flavor at the end product, which is I think an important Correct. thing too. So while yeah, maybe it's easy to get your pH right. The result 
might not be what you're looking for. Well, this is why if he hadn't messed with the pH at all, which he maybe you should have done, oh, make that the, fourth yeah. beer. The yeah. control. The control beer would have been the fourth beer you did nothing to. And, and you would have found that you hated it. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I would, I would have hated it because it would have been a 12-hour brew day. <laughs> yeah, it would have been a 12-hour brew day all, all the way around. So, sorry. Yeah, I just had to do that. Just uh, was wondering who didn't put the control in there. So, it's, <laughs> so add, adding this in, you know, and uh, one more thing, messing with the pH. Yeah. One thing, though, is you hit 5-2 on every, every mash. Mm-hmm. Tell them about what your original gravities were. So uh, the original gravities were pretty close. Um, with the phosphoric acid addition, I uh, hit an OG of um, uh, 10,477. Uh, the lactic was 10,479, really close on those two. And uh, the uh, 5.2 stabilizer was uh, 10,467, so a little lower on that one. So, but basically, you know, your, your efficiencies are real close. Yeah, that's yeah. real close. And then when you're brewing lots of beer like Colin and you're selling it for money, that, that, make, that <laughs> yeah. makes an issue. Yeah. Well, it is, and, and there's all sorts of tricks we use. First off, is once you get the mill setting where you like it, you don't change it ever. Ever. Cause, Just yeah, weld that thing shut. changes your efficiency so much. Oh, of course it does. That was, that was a big discussion on the forum was yeah. you know, the, the, the grind ratio, how, yeah. how fine you grind it. Those were double milled. You know, all those grains were, uh, I ran them through the mill twice. Did you? But I always do that. So. And then the other thing you can do is take a, uh, a gravity of your of your wort while it's hot, your your boiled wort, um, before you uh, cool it, and and then make any water adjustments with strike water with with your liquor water at that point. All right, I want to make a distinction at this point because I'm seeing from some of the questions that are coming at me. And uh, this is probably partly due to the description that was on the website and whatnot, and maybe how we discussed this. Um, I think it's, it's an interesting point to note that we've been talking about the pH of water, and we've said the whole thing, this is the pH of water show. But then Colin came in and said, look, it, the pH of my water it doesn't make a goddamn difference. It's one thing uh, when I have my water. It's a whole other thing when I have my wort. So uh, c- kind of some of the questions I'm getting are like, you know, w- when do I add the pH to m- th- these things to my water? Uh, how do I know if my water is going to turn proper when I do it in the mash? I guess what we're really talking about here that we maybe uh, didn't be, be descriptive enough about is the pH of your mash has been our main uh, discussion. That's the target. That's what's important. That's, That's what's it, important. It's yeah. the target, which we said actually said in the beginning. It's the target to get it to wherever it is, and you're going to have... Your variables are going to be your your uh, grain bill, yeah, a lot of dark, a lot of light, whatever you're going to have, and your starting water, right. what you're going to have. Are you going to use RO water and build it up from there? Are you going to use RO water to cut whatever water you have, or are you just going to take it out of the tap? That's reverse osmosis, by the way. Oh, hey, you know that. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of it's wherever you're starting. It's your starting ingredients, and what when they come together, are you going to get to your five point two? And what it's going to take. Right. First thing it's going to take is knowledge. Anybody want a bit of Lagunitas IPA? I'm 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 passing it. I don't know if you want it or not, but it's it's yours if you do. Uh, pass the bottle there. All right, let me fire some questions at you guys uh, as as we're you guys as we're playing pass the bottle. Um, yeah. So like this one, for example, what I was just getting at was when do you add the acid to the whole batch of water? But for no. me, I add the acid first. 
but it's because I've done a calculation. He, so, okay, so you know right. exactly what you have to but do. He's, he's right. up at 6 a.m. with coffee and a spreadsheet. I know I'm adding right. 17 milliliters of acid. Right, he knows. And, and, and I'll, I'll put that in and then add my salt, and then I'll mash it. So he knows that you know his his water changes every day, so he tests the water. Then he decides which what he's going to brew that day and what it's going to take for those two to come together to hit 5-2. Right. And he already has his spreadsheet, and he knows how many milliliters to put in there. Okay, but for the rest of us who then have you, not figured out the right. origin of man like Colin, <laughs> uh, <laughs> then you do it the way Eric did. Right. Which you is mash. a lot easier from a test. Right. Yeah. Exactly. If you're going to brew in your garage, you take your water and yeah. you go ahead and mash in. You mix your grains in your water, and those grains are going to alter the pH of your starting water. Okay. Right. But they're going to take it down. But then you also have to figure out how do you want to go lower. Is it going to take it farther? Is it going to take it less? And the nice thing is if you're starting with a consistent water, let's say you're starting with Arrowhead or you have a DI unit at home or an RO unit at home, and you're starting with the same water, pretty much you're going to be using the same amount of acid on every, you know, for each individual recipe. So if you get a pale ale to where it's working and you're using the same water, you don't have to test the mash pH every time. Three milliliters is probably going to hit it. For that recipe. For that recipe. And yeah. If, yeah. for your porters, it's going to take a different amount. But, okay. but you know it's going to be for that recipe as long as your water is consistent. It's consistent. And my problem is, is my water can be off tenfold on a given day. Right. That's the difference. So he could make a bad porter one day. Okay, another question here. Uh, do you need to worry about adjusting for pH during the sparge when batch sparging? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. You, yeah. you can't... You need to check the pH towards the end. You do? Okay. And do you know the number offhand, Doc? Uh, you want to get the sparge water down to? No, what what you don't want the final runnings to go over. Uh, the, the final runnings will start to climb. Certainly by 5.7, I shut it off. That's what, about what it is. I'm thinking 5.8, certainly not over 6. Yeah, uh, some, somewhere around there I shut it off, and I'll just put hot water in the tank rather than... And take that. If you taste it at that point, it tastes just like tea. Yeah. One one thing. What what you're doing with the mash is you're thinning it out as you're sparging. You're thinning it out, and you're also taking out the buffers that are in the mash. And if your sparge water is tap water, it could be eight pH, something like that. So everything's going to start rising because you're not going to have the buffers to bring it back down. Well, you're also starting to extract ash out of the mass. Exactly, by, by raising the pH. So if you acidify your sparge water down to 6, something like that, it's, it's not going to have as big an effect at, at pulling that mash pH up and then extracting those nasty flavors out of there. But if you were to treat your mash with 5-2, because not only does it have the acids, it also has the buffers... Your sparge water isn't so important, right? No, no, it probably buffers all the way through that sparge. Yeah. And and that and could I, be the difference. Or you could add, add the 5 to the sparge water, too. Yeah, no, that's one of the things that I, I think I've read on uh, on Five Star's site is one of the things that uh, batch spargers really like about the product is that once they treat their mash, they don't have to treat their sparge water because the buffers are already in the mash, and they can just go ahead and run their two batch runs. And I worry about them, you know, rinsing the grains of the buffers too. It's got to get a rinse out of there somehow. Yeah. And uh, it's and we Yeah, got, but then it's still in the kettle. But it's still in the kettle, but I'm talking about when you're uh, sparging and the sparge in the, the pH in the mash is going up because oh, right. because and then, and everything's diluted down, everything's getting thinner and you've rinsed all the buffers out of the mash and your 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 ingoing water, your sparge water is seven and a half, eight. That's going to bring everything up. 
It's going to be up into the danger zone. So the last part of that sparge coming through is going to start leaching things in, in your beer that you don't want. Because you've had all the all the protective things at the beginning of the mash, all the all the buffers and everything else, are not going to be there anymore. You've already rinsed them off, and they're all in the boil kettle now. Gotcha. So you've got all that kind of going. So that's that's a big question. Everybody asks, why do I have to acidify the sparge water? And it's to compensate for what you've already rinsed out of the mash, which is all the buffers that help keep it down. Okay. Uh, how am I adjusting my pH in my sparge water? I do it with acid. Usually, uh, I usually use uh, phosphoric, sometimes lactic, but usually phosphoric because that's what I like better. Uh, phosphoric, what did you say, Colin? It's about 20% or which one is that one? A B3. Oh, yeah, it's like 20 or 30. See, 20, like when, when you add one... They one, dilute it because they ship it. I get it almost pure. Yeah. Uh, well, the thing with it, when you're using the lactic acid, it's 88%. I know that one. And then uh, the phosphoric is 20%. So one drop of one is not the same as one drop of the right. other. So you can easily go over by a millimeter, milliliter. So when you're acidifying your sparge water, what's your, what's your target then? Is it different per recipe? No, my sparge water, I just try to keep it below six. Below six. And then I don't, don't worry about it okay. too much. And there's no reason that you can't uh, dilute um, your lactic acid. Exactly, yeah. You, it. So uh, you, can, you can cut it by four, you know, four yeah, to one. Or even ten, yeah. It's, it's real common when you're dealing with strong acids to make a working solution. Yeah, so you start out with one milliliter, put it in, put it in ten. And it's easier to titrate it that way so you don't overshoot. So you know, one drop is a lot more diluted when you're putting it in. So when you're when you're acidifying your mash or your sparge water, especially your sparge water, you put a drop in, put a milliliter in, nothing happens. Put another milliliter, nothing happens. You're getting tired about a fifth, six milliliter you're putting in this thing, and nothing's happening. The pH isn't going down. You're stirring it. Yeah, screw that. So you so you're just and you go. You know what? I put four and nothing happened. I'm going to put four more in. Yeah. Bam. And, you, and, all of a sudden, and then you're at five. And then you're at five. You <laughs> dropped out the bottom. Damn it. But or what? one thing you'll really notice is you drop one and one and one and nothing happens. On that fifth or sixth one, you drop a milliliter in and it really takes it out. Huh. It just it just took out all the buffers, used up all the buffers. And now the acid's working by itself and it brings it down. Uh, now, so, another thing that we deal with that you guys probably don't ever have to deal with is that when you start adding acid, it starts generating carbon dioxide in solution. Yep. And uh, for us, that can, if we don't drive that CO2 off, it can be a problem with the equipment. So when you're measuring that pH, you, there's still dissolved CO2, which is a pretty weak acid, but it's strong enough that we notice it. And uh, if we get too much CO2 in solution, we'll pump the kettle over and literally take the, all the water and pump it on top of itself for a half an hour um, in order to drive it off. And then when we measure the pH, it'll have changed. Okay. I got more questions. I'm going to fire some of these at you, Dr. Evil. I've just changed your name, Colin, to, <laughs> to Dr. Evil because you apparently know everything. Are you building human beings in your basement when you're not brewing? Uh, no comment. <laughs> He's not zoned for that. <laughs> yeah. uh, if all the pH stuff only makes uh, for light beers, which I don't think we're saying it only makes for light no. beers, but uh, that, that's where this is coming from. We're saying we're recommending it mostly for the light beers, I suppose. Uh, why do they always add gypsum around here in the stouts? And this person is from Orlando, Florida, or just west of Orlando, Florida. Well, I don't know what kind of water is down there in Orlando, but uh, gypsum tends to make the beers crisper and drier. So if you're making a dry Irish stout, gypsum, I think, is called for. 
Okay. Uh, the just having that sulfate ion, uh, I think it's called for in a dry Irish stout. I think it makes it delightful. Make it dry. Okay. One of the main things you're adding gypsum or calcium carbonate is you're trying to get more calcium in it. And it depends on one does one thing and one does the other, and it, it's the anion that does it. Okay. It's uh, sulfate does one thing as far as that, but the the carbonate is going to keep your pH up. And it, and it, it tends to make the beers thicker and rounder. Right. Um, hold the pH higher. So, but um, but then there's also the flavor profile thing. There's a difference in, in when you add sulfate, which is the gypsum, rather than the calcium carbonate, which is the chalk. And I, I don't know. If, I've never been able to get chalk to go into my water. No, you have to acidify the water first. It's not going to go in at all. I add it into the mash tun was my solution. Yeah. Uh, yeah, especially if you're recirking it, it'll do that. But it just sits in, just goes right to the bottom and lays there like, like chalk on the bottom of the kettle. If you acidify the water first, you'll get to get it to go in a lot better. All right, here's another one for you. Why not use ascorbic acid and make your beer good for you to boot? Little vitamin C in there. Yeah, why not ascorbic acid? Well, you know, acid. my water calculator will actually let me calculate how much ascorbic acid it takes. Okay. I've never tried it though, and I've never tried citric or um, tartaric. All three of which could conceivably work. How about muriatic? Get that pool. Um, well, I, that's actually <laughs> I do use that. Do you have? Is that like pool acid? Oh, it, hey, it, I want to be drinking your beer real soon. Acid. <laughs> yeah. It, it's basically just types of of. Of natural acids that you're putting in there, too. Uh-huh. Okay. So it's just a matter of, of, A, whether or not they're safe, and, B, if uh, how, what flavor profile What flavor profile, exactly. And, and, yeah, and, the, and the, the availability, too. hydrochloric acid that I use are not safe by any means. Wait, yeah. s- say that again, please, Colin. The, the sulfuric acid and the hydrochloric acids that I use are not safe by any means. That's, it's like if you have not worked in a chemistry lab, you do not want to have them no. around. Oh, right. They, they smoke when you take the top off of them. Interesting. Yeah, and they not only that, they smoke when they burn your clothes off. <laughs> yeah. And you and you you well, use those because they're uh, effective? I, wh- why are they Yeah, they're more effective. Okay. I, they're they're effective. I I like to I like them because they add a desirable ion for me. I like to control the chloride sulfate and the chloride levels very closely for each recipe. Now let me, it it let has me. a lot and to I do with the availability. Yeah. Uh, you can't, uh, normal folk can't get that that he's getting. Right. So, and it, because it's not safe. Yeah, let me ask my next uh, hippie sissy question that sort of comes after that. <laughs> Could you ever, okay, if you did all of the rest of your process, Colin, let's assume for a second organic. Could you call it an organic beer, adding stuff like that that seems real volatile and dangerous in there? Um, I think if you could actually find a, a batch of acid that they certified they made organically, yeah. You could. Um, there's more sulfuric acid made than any other acid on the planet. So let, let me just make sure we clarify for your brewery's sake. We're not, you're not adding toxic materials to no. your beer. No, but, not at all. But in by fact, themselves and, and, and not used properly, there's some serious business. It, it mostly has to do with the concentration that he's using them in. Right. He, he gets them in such a molar concentration that it's going to be <laughs> right. a, one drop will burn through your clothes. Where right. uh, diluted down, they're not so dangerous. That's yeah, fun. And that's a nice thing in a 300-gallon <laughs> kettle. I only have to add, you know, 12 milliliters of sulfuric. You imagine how a brew day would go if I was helping Colin out with this well, stuff? Well, that's stuff. Hey, let's try this, Colin. Hey, look, it burns my yeah. tennis shoes. <laughs> uh, actually, and adding sulfuric acid was a tip I got from a uh, Burton-on-Trent brewer. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So it, it's common for 
for them to modify their water. You know, we think, oh, we're going to sit around and we're going to modify our water so it's just like Burton-on-Trent or just like Dortmund or something. You talk to the brewers there, and they're, they're saying, well, why are you doing that? I hate my water. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. All right, uh, Dr. Evil, how many hydrogen ions are required to affect a change in pH? Uh, well, then we now we're getting into <laughs> stuff that you want to have some a chemistry book in front of you. For. Okay, all right. Um, there, it turns out that when you when you try to build the spreadsheet that I've got, you do have to know that, and you have to calculate the relative molecular masses of all the ions involved. Okay. And you don't want to do that without a chemistry book. Yeah, no, I don't want to do it at all. You give me all the <laughs> chemistry books in the world, I'm still not going to do it. Hey, what are the chances of us getting a hold of that spreadsheet you got there? You know, it's not finished. Oh, yeah? You're still working on it? I, I still edit it. So as, I, as my understanding, right now I'm working on the lactic acid side of it. As okay. my understanding of these acids goes, it evolves. So... Is this like your life's work? Premature, but the plan is to release it. So the day you are going to release the day it. after never. Are you going to release it like sort of as a check out this cool tool, or, or this is going to be like your Nobel Prize winning sale? Uh, no, I'm just going to post it on my website, and whoever finds it finds it. That a boy. <laughs> there you go. That's what we like. All right. Well, let us know because I actually I'm I'm absolutely positive that there's a good number of our listeners out there who who abs- who know everything that you're talking about and really would like to get a hold of that. So. Uh, well, you know, and it's, it's it's all of it came from working through AJ Delang's uh, papers. Okay. With a first year college textbook. Okay. And I just went side by side between the two, and that's how I've been able to build it. So and again, the part you need to know is how to do relative molecular mass, oh, and course. what the reactions are that are going on. And AJ Delang tells you what the reactions are. And just put it together. And, and by the way, fact, Dr. Lewis has a good book. Uh, uh, do I have that book in front of me? Um, Brewing, uh, second edition by Michael Lewis and Tom Young. Um, if you get a chance to look at that, it's got an. A very brief section on water, but it's actually also very informative. Am I the only one who sees Colin like surrounded by yeah. a mess of papers? It and sounds books like some light and, reading and crazy hair, <laughs> and like there's certainly some test tubes like around there. I just remember his desk at B3 when he had a desk there. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, that looks like funny. Sanford and Son. By the way, Colin did mention earlier. Uh, just do a search on any search engine for AJ Lang and water chemistry, and you'll find some of this good stuff that he's mentioning right there. Okay, uh, here's a, here's one. Does anyone get those dumplings, quote unquote, in their boil from the proteins coagulating? Uh, and, uh, are we supposed to? Everybody gets that, right? <laughs> I was to. I was just wondering if he meant by dumplings, like that he's getting something that I'm not, like little baseball sized things. Eh, you know, I don't get that. I, I get. Well, that. I like it to look like confetti. If I've got a bunch of confetti in the boil, I know I did everything right. Yeah, I think it looks okay. like egg drop soup when it's boiling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I definitely get that. I uh, get the confetti thing. I get the, uh, the you know badly poured beer thing right in the beginning <laughs> where it's just like <laughs> oh, you know, foaming all over the place. All right, got to go back to the soft water questions here for a sec. So, uh, soft. Does the 5.2, I know you haven't used it, Colin, so maybe uh, Eric and Doc can help us out. Does that work on soft water to make it right, too? The point of 5.2 uh, is that, and, and this was actually when Charlie was on the show, um, is that it will work with uh, 
water from any yeah. uh, municipality. He actually did how many? Uh, I can't remember how many I don't remember municipalities either, he but tested. But the point is, yeah. uh, 5-2 will take any water uh, to 5-2. So that's it. and there's another question here, so I'll answer. That's the same answer for you, sir, who asked about, you know, will it help you with the pills in soft water land? The claim is that it will help you in any water. So well, if you if you you're doing a pills and you're in soft water land, you probably shouldn't have to use five two. Well, but if you look at what Pilsner brewers do, is they do an acid rest. Yep. You know, so they they're having a problem with it. I mean, if you think about it, there's no calcium, there's no magnesium. And yeah, there's no carbonate to buffer, but they don't have anything to react with the malt phosphate. So I'm, I'm with the lightest malt you've got, and all of a sudden your pH is five eight five nine. Yeah, and and the, so they're doing a lactic rest because they found out it makes the beers taste better. Did they have a pH meter when they invented that? No, no. Nope. They just you know, they found out it tasted better, and that's so I, I would say if you're starting with soft water, I'd add a little bit of lactic acid. So if I'm just going to guess with the 5.2 that uh, it just sets up a whole new uh, buffer system. That's exactly and what it's it, And it, it just, oh, it, whatever the water is, it sets up a whole new buffer system at whatever that pH likes to stay at. So and, it, and somehow yeah, it stays yeah. independent of the phosphate system. Right. Yeah, I guess That's what I would guess, too. Some weird questions here, too. Uh, let's see. Are you wearing pants? Uh, yeah. Uh, is Doc wearing pants today? Doc? Yep. Got them on. Okay. Answers that one. I have hard water. <laughs> <laughs> if that's what you say. Is that the question with the permanent hardness? Is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Is this, it is. Is this TDs? TDs? Let me see. I can read it if you want to. Yeah, read yeah. that. Total dissolved. I will yeah, read a very complicated must, yeah, question. I have hard water, TDS of 390, hardness as wow. CaCO3 of 237. <laughs> Are you with me? Yeah. But Ca, is that for calcium? Yeah. Calcium. Yeah. Calcium of only 70 ppm. Okay. How should I deal with the hardness without losing all my calcium? Well, you can do a couple of things. You can boil it. Get that out. You're going to lose a lot of your calcium, but you're going to need to add it back in. And Okay, I've got a new one for you. Okay. Here's what I'd do if I add 300 gallons of that water. I'd take a bunch of slaked lime. Okay. And I'd bring the pH up to 10. Wait, you take a bunch of what? Slaked, slaked lime. lime. It's, uh, it's lime that's been soaked in water, basically. Okay. It's, uh, it's got a hydrogen. It's got some extra hydrogen. The stuff. water companies use it to keep the pH up. Okay. Yeah, and, and so, so you, pull, you pull the pH all the way up to 10, and you boil it. And all that alkalinity is going to drop right out. You're going to have beautiful water when you're done. Hmm. I'm um, going to try now that. Now you got to clean all that sludge off the bottom of your. <laughs> yeah, you're going to. Yeah, you're going to have to do it the night before. Uh, rack it off, clean all the crud out of there. It comes off okay, but take it off out of the kettle and then refill the kettle back. That's a very common uh, thing to do in both uh, England and Australia. However, so you know the usual way that home brewers do it is they boil it the night before. That's going to take out the the carbonate, but it's also going to take out all your calcium, too. Then you're going to need to add your calcium back in, and either you can use calcium chloride or gypsum, either one of those two, to get the parts per million up, at least to back up to the 70 range, you know, 50 ppm, 70 ppm. That's probably a pretty good range. Yeah, not below 50. No, definitely not, be- definitely not below 50. Uh, if you get it between, you know, 70 and 100, that'd be, that'd be good. All right, I think I got some more here. What's the pH of the liquor initially? 
Is that a valid It question? could be anything, as my experience. Yeah. yeah. That's it, it, I've seen, you know, like I said, I've seen pHs of, of 6 mash in too high, and I've seen pHs of 8 mash in just right. Okay. So it's not just the pH, it's also based the hardness that comes into play, if you want to talk of it that way. Only a couple more questions left, and we're going to get out of here. So why don't you get your Stump the Brewer questions ready? Uh, you already got, Is that what you just gave me here? No. Oh, but you already got one Stump the Brewer? Yes. We got anything to give away even? No. So we're just playing for fun? <laughs> we're playing for the pride and honor. <laughs> <laughs> for pride and honor against uh, Colin Kaminsky, I recommend making it a hard science question. Uh, it's a one. small prize. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, this came in uh, earlier in the show, so I don't know if it's relevant. I'm going to ask it anyway. I want everyone to get their questions answered. What about lager yeast is it that puts out acetal? I'm not saying diacetal. It just says you just wrote down acetal. Acetyl. <laughs> That's what they wrote. Is I don't even know what that is. Is that not a, a valid question there, Doc? No, it's acetal. Acetal. There you go. Is it acetal aldehyde? Acetyl aldehyde. Sorry. That's the green apple. I didn't have my taste. book out. I, l- I love it in Jolly Ranchers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is it about lager yeast that puts that out? I don't know that metabolic pathway. No, I don't either. It, I, I, I can look it up. I've read it. I know I know what we're talking about. Okay. I don't feel so bad that I don't know that metabolic pathway either now. Um, <laughs> it's a side branch of the Krebs chain, but yes. I, I don't know which one it is. It comes through anyway, which is whether it gets uh, reabsorbed and used again in the in the pathway. So, right. Uh, and if you do something to interrupt that pathway, you're going to have a lot more acetaldehyde left over in the finished product. Which I usually you don't find want. if I interrupt that pathway, diacetyl becomes the bigger problem. Hmm. Daniela the Foreigner, would you like to read <laughs> this uh, next question that you gave me there? No, that I find offensive. <laughs> Daniela the Foreigner, I don't like that at all. It's a good one. If I use sodium mat to clear chloramine from town border... Does it leave ions behind that I need to take into account with other mineral pH adjustments? Don't look at me like that. I'm disgusted. <laughs> <laughs> Just answer the damn question. <laughs> Give me that back. My mouth is hanging I, I open. I don't think you want to have sodium in the water at all. <laughs> See, there's an answer. And Thank you, Colin. Camden tablets no. either be made with potassium or sodium. Yes. And people are using Camden tablets now to take chlorine. Chloramine. Chloramine's out. Chloramine is just evil, evil, evil for brewers. Bad for fish, too. Yeah, bad for fish, too. And unfortunately, fish survive the sodium ion. Now, I have some friends. Uh, my hobby is making holograms. And I have some friends that make <laughs> holograms in England. I told them about that. Sorry, okay. dude. So, anyhow, they tested their Camden tablets there and found that they didn't have sodium in them. I'm told that ours do. Now, I don't know if B3 can get on that and figure out what's going on. But potassium is much better for your mash than sodium. Okay. So let me ask a um, a, a dummy question here. I'm on <laughs> no, that, that's Justin's <laughs> dumb. Yeah, and I don't think Colin can answer any dumb questions. <laughs> okay. So what's what's a uh, relatively acceptable level of tolerance with pH in your mash? Okay, so let's take your, your relatively sophisticated home brewer, right? We're talking about... Mashing in in got coolers, Rubbermaid coolers, you know, converted kegs and whatnot. If you were to to start out with your regular old water, say starting at seven, go ahead and, and you dough in. And if you weren't to adjust your pH at all, and okay. if just if you just allowed the grains of a of a standard recipe, if you're shooting for five two and without any alteration, you got down to say five five. Is that is that 
reasonable? If someone were to actually go ahead and, and measure the pH of their mash, would you say, ah, I'm in the neighborhood, that's good enough, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to do any additives, I don't want to be a water chemist, I think this is, is just fine? What is it'll, make a, it'll make a different beer. It's going to favor the beta amylase. Is that alpha or beta? I don't know. Uh, it, it, it's going to favor one of the enzymes over the other. So uh, you're going to probably have uh, a less attenuative beer. Uh, more dextrins are going to come out, and you're going to have a thicker beer. So if you're and, doing and, uh, and then depending on what happens during sparge, you could end up, you know, extracting off flavors from the hops as well. So it if I if I, I write down my pHs at every point in the process in the logbook every day. If I mash in and I write down 5.5, five, I don't panic. Right. If I, I mash in and I write down 5.8, I panic. I don't think you're going to have a bad beer at 5.5, five, 5.6, five, five, probably, oh. it, but it's going to be a different beer. Right. Then if you if you okay. did the same beer, same grain bill and everything at 5.2 or 5.1, you're going to have a different beer. If you did them side by side, you'd taste right. the difference. Okay. And a lot of it would be mouthfeel. Uh, a lot of it would be the... Uh, the terminal gravity would be different, probably. Your efficiencies are going to be a little different, so those okay. kind of things. But, you know, you're not going to make a bad beer at that. Gotcha. By the way, uh, when Doc and Colin aren't brewing, they hang out together and build baby goats. <laughs> together. Cloning. Just, yeah, my hobby's cloning. Just so you know. Hey, Bub, you're on the air. Hey. How are Bob? you, man? Not too bad. What's, what's, what's going on? I got a general brewing question. Not to take us completely off topic, but it's been bothering me since I've been listening to the archives. Got to burn your saddle. Do it. Yeah. All right. Everybody's talking about um, the care and and whatnot of the yeast making the major difference in your beer as far as flavor is concerned. If that's the case, how come almost every commercial brewery uses one type of yeast for Every different style of beer, except for, you know, maybe like a weird half or something like that. Well, mm. we use one yeast, and, and the reason, I've got two in-house right now, but normally I use just one yeast. And the reason is, is once I get to know a yeast, I know it. And it's, switching to a different yeast involves so much more um, figuring out of what does it do when it goes wrong. Or, or I, pitch, I might pitch one yeast into 30 batches of beer before I go back to fresh culture. And, it, you know, if I'm using Irish ale yeast, which is the one I know the best, I know exactly. And I can harvest a bucket and go, this bucket doesn't feel right. I'm throwing it down the drain. You know, because the last time it felt like this, the beer tasted terrible. And, and you get that experience with it that, oh, two gallons will work because this is a thick pitch, or three gallons will work because this is a thin pitch kind of thing. And you get that feel, just that, that work with the yeast every day kind of feel. You smell the beer and go, oh, I won't use this yeast again. Or, you know, and even though the beer might smell just fine to everybody else, you're already starting to pick up that one little off note that your yeast tends to make, and you just discard that whole pitch. And and I think that's why brewers want to stick with one yeast, just so we get to know it better. Then you have, so yeah, but you're but talking about cross contamination issues, possibly that you have to keep them totally yeah, separate. But uh, in, you know that doesn't really answer Bub's question, in the sense that. Uh, He's right. We talk about here, at, when we do the homebrew talks in here, when we're really talking homebrew, uh, so in Colin's defense, we're talking homebrew, uh, you know, Jamil and a lot of these guys, we really always talk about how controlling yeast and what yeast you use is so all-important. 
So if it does it, it sort of would would go to say it becomes unimportant if you're using the same damn yeast for every single style. Well, well, what's more important, I think, is yeast health. Then it's more important than variety. Now you guys get yeast at the same health level every time. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's what I would call mediocre health. But it's we do just good enough to brew a beer, but not as good as it would be three generations later. Uh, okay. So well, but we do starters and whatnot. Well, and that's a great way to boost your health. Yeah. But, you know, you've got a lot of different things with that. When you're using a, a yeast that's pretty neutral all the way around, you can brew a lot of different beers with it. Uh, if you have a real yeast-driven beer, you're going to want to use a different kind of yeast. Yeah. Right, but, but you wouldn't want to make a Hefeweizen with an English ale yeast. No, not a, you, won't, you, won't, it won't be a Hefeweizen. It wouldn't have that. And Belgian beers are the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've I've tried that. I did a wit and I split one with a, a wit yeast and I used a, a ten fifty six, you know, California ale yeast, as a WLP one, mm-hmm. and it was just a flat beer that had nothing to it because it was such a neutral yeast. Yeah. And the other one had a lot of sparkle to it, uh, had a lot of flavor in the wit, and the other one was just the same thing. I just split the two batches and there was nothing in the other one. And it has to do with with money. Too. The big guys want to have. Oh, they have to have a consistent product, or Bubba's going to think that the Budweiser people changed the recipe on him. Yeah, I hate it when Bubba gets angry. <laughs> so, and, and it has to do with with money too. If you've got to deal with a lot of different strains, you're going to have to treat them different. Well, uh, and, and what do you guys pay for a vial of yeast? Yeah, there's product? a there's you economies know, of scale. Yeah. For a pitch of yeast. Yeah. How much do you pay? 180. Holy shnikes! So, oh, yeah. You know, for me, it's for a the big bucket. deal when I get new yeast, and I and I treat it like. You know, it's 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 on an altar. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> as you should. I think it's golden. <laughs> the golden so, sludge. Go ahead, Bob. So for your, uh, I don't know, your general non-yeast driven beers, you could stick with a single single strain of yeast and pretty much be okay if you're doing porters or yeah. Irish reds well, or whatever, and you're you're okay. But once you want to move to your half, you gotta you gotta get your half yeast. Right. There, there's a guy in our brew club that. Proves just awesome beers. He's uh, you know won gold at uh, the NHC. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to get him in here. He's kind of a shy guy, but I always always kid him. He made a lot of different beers, killer beers, but the only thing he ever used was California ale yeast. Yeah. I used to kid uh-huh. him. He never used anything else. He's well, branching the he, microbrewery staple. He's branching around, but he's a lot of different beers. And yeah. They're all great, and he only used that one yeast because he knew it. He knew what it would do. And as far as we're talking about handling the yeast, it's getting them to do what we want them to do yeah. without throwing off off flavors, keeping their health up so that they don't throw off off flavor or mutate into something that we don't want to have. Doc wasn't talking about me in his brew club, by the way, in case any of you were wondering. <laughs> 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 didn't know. Yeah, he said the guy brewed good beer. Oh, Some of it pertained to you. Yeah. You only use one yeast. That's true. I do, actually. I don't, I'm trying to figure out. I, I've used, let me think. I think I've only, I've used three different yeasts in my brewing career, which is fairly short. I've used, I use Cal pretty much all the time. I've used English ale, both from White Labs, and I've used the Y yeast English ale. Equivalent that Cal Ale will transcend a lot of styles. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's it, really it, it's good. It's so clean at a bunch of temperatures. And if, you know, if I were a home brewer and I didn't have a temperature-controlled fermentation, I'd be using California yeast all the time. Yeah, there you it, go. It, if I take my yeast, the, the difference between sixty-seven and sixty-eight degrees, yeah, I can taste right away. With California ale yeast, the difference between sixty-eight and seventy-two isn't that big of a deal. See, straight from Doctor Evil's mouth. 
Cal Ale is the I'm stuff. I'm getting some Cal Ale stuff to you. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Bob. No problem. Bye. Take care. All right, I got us uh, Stump the Brewer. Uh, Daniel, why do you keep giving me dirty looks and, and whatnot from over there in the corner? Are you not happy with the water show? I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> and I think most of our listeners are dead as well. Yeah, it's a long show. and Your, your uh, brain is full. We're no, I'm just kidding. It's just very complicated on me because I have no idea about chemistry. That was the only subject I always sucked at. Yeah, and That's you cool. hardly speak English, never mind uh, chemistry in English. Right? I, I think she speaks English better than the best of us. Shut Thank up. Thank you very much, Carl. <laughs> I think the show was better before you called in. <laughs> uh, okay, you ready for your stump the uh, stump the brewer, Colin? Yeah, sure. At what point, on a molecular level, does water become wet? <laughs> so dirty. <laughs> You know, I would have to to just venture a guess because I don't even know the definition of the word wet. Yeah, I, I wouldn't either. So it has to do with, I mean, guess, liquid? I when, when, it, when there's enough cohesive force to the molecules stick liquid. together and make it liquid. Yeah. Uh, how many molecules is it? Well, that would depend on the pressure and the temperature. Is oh, well... I'm going to say two. I think, yeah, I think you could have liquid water with two molecules. Daniela, the foreigner, do you want to read the answer? Uh, I would have said the dew point. You know what? You've got to stop this right now, or I'm going to get really angry. Angrier. That's your new character on the show. No, it's not going to be my new character. 6H20 molecules. (laughs) (laughs) Give me that back. It's 6H2O molecules, isn't it? It's not 6H20. That's how it was written down. Yeah, that would be how it has to be typed in, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Wait, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on a second here. English or German, it doesn't really matter, right? Like, when you're in chemistry, <laughs> what's the molecular uh, structure of water, Daniela? H2O. Okay. Or H20. <laughs> or H20. If you're if you're from Germany but living in the United States, it's H20. <laughs> Is that funny, isn't yeah. it? Uh, uh, yes. Well, this says six H20 molecules, guys. Um, you know, I'm going to have to defer to the expert there because uh, okay. it probably is. Yeah. It, it might with the matrix. Maybe. So <laughs> yeah, exactly right. It, water's polar, so it might nest in somehow. Who's that from, Daniela? They, all they get is glory this week. H H. I, I apologize. H H. You get tons of glory for that. Uh, glory day for for stumping. You look back on this. For stumping Doctor Evil. You'll be Eva. proud. That's right. <laughs> you did a great job. Yeah. Hey, uh, real quick, Colin, uh, you guys, uh, let me make sure I do this properly. Uh, Downtown Joe's is where Colin is the, is the we're, brewmaster. We're at uh, the corner of 2nd and Main in Napa, California. Okay, and good beer. We've had Colin on quite a while ago. Uh, go back to our archives and listen to his first show. He's in the studio with us. It was a lot of fun. Um, he, he's definitely a brilliant mind. Uh, were you guys uh, underwater with all this rain we've been having lately? I know Napa had some floods. Well, you know, during the flood, uh, my first day of vacation started about eight hours before that flood. Oh, perfect. So so I got home for about two hours, and then I got really nervous and drove down to the brewery, stayed there all night. Oh, really? Watched the water get to about a foot from the door, a foot of elevation from the door. Oh, uh, man. Flooded the whole keg storage area and everything. Really? we We didn't have any damage at all, and as soon as the water hit the high water mark, you know, where I, I knew it was going to stop because the tides were starting to move out. And if you've ever... I uh, jumped in my car and I drove to New Mexico. 
But if you ever, if you've ever sit, you ever boy. sat in downtown Joe's eating, drinking, looking out the window, uh, the river outside is big and it's and it's and low water day. Yeah. It's yeah. it's deep. And I can imagine being a foot up. Oh, man. That's a lot of water. <laughs> uh, well, from the high tide, it was up about 12 feet when I left town. Oh, wow. That's rough. So it, it, it was all the way, it was about maybe six inches in elevation from hitting our patio. No kidding. But you guys, are you're still alive and everything's well? You didn't lose any productivity? No, it didn't at all. Um, had to wash all the kegs really well and, and throw away some chairs that were in storage. But other than that, it was no big deal for us. You know, a block away from us, businesses were totally devastated. Yeah. But uh, with the new 3rd Street Bridge saved us. It's rough. I got another Stump the Brewer for you. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay, this is from, uh, what is it, Beer Bear? Beer Bear? Beer Bear? Yes. Beer Bear in the chat room wants to know, what beer am I drinking? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Come on, Colin. Where's he from? Where's he? He's got. Come on, <laughs> Mr. Smart Guy. Where's he from? Though? Yeah. <laughs> Give us a hint. Where's he from? Okay. Uh, I don't know. Daniela will type in and find out where he's from. Maybe we can uh, Maybe we can narrow it down. It's, Doc makes a good point. Amstel Light. Of course, unless he's uh, having a homebrew. If it's a homebrew, we're never going to get it, but... Uh, we're going to find out right now. She's typing to him where he's but from. If he's like, you know, if he's like me, he's drinking the best beer he's got in the house. <laughs> Memphis. He's his way down to the worst beer he's got in the house. <laughs> That's right. Isn't that where Elvis Presley was from? Yes. Memphis? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. From Memphis he's from. D- Doc, you want to take a stab at what beer? Uh, ask if it's a homebrew home or commercial, commercial beer. It ask. is a commercial beer. It's a commercial beer in Memphis. Voodoo lager. Voodoo lager, you say? Nope. You know mm. who's uh, distributing a lot down there right now is Trommer Pilsner. Oh yeah, you know they're just they're making a big push here all over the yeah. place. I that was Austin, just uh, yeah. I was in the middle of the desert uh, just this last week and I found Trumer at the local AMPM. I was pretty happy about that actually. It was like Bud Bud Light Bud Ice Bud Extra Light Bud Extra Light <laughs> Trumer Sweet. <laughs> he's saying that he's having a beer that's all that he has left right now, so it's not the best beer to him. Oh, I'm gonna oh, and he's in wow. Memphis. I'm gonna say it's Coors Light. Yeah, nope. P- PBR. Little Pabst working. No PBR. It's none of those. Did he do the tasting with us? And he's having an Amstel Light. He's not. Old English. Colin, your guess. Um, you guys have gone through all the Milwaukee breweries. I yeah. Think of. Yeah. You guys are uh, all Coors? stumped. <laughs> he's m- he's having a Miller High Life. Oh, yeah. Uh, the gold medal winner. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> the champagne of beers, yeah. right? Champagne of cornflakes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Colin uh, from Downtown Joe's, uh, and I think it's, what is it, just downtownjoes.com? Yeah, downtownjoes.com. Uh, we're just a little brew pub. We do... Uh, about 100 batches of beer a year. Okay. Uh, 217 gallons a batch. I'm yet to get there myself, but I've heard nothing but good things. And in talking to you now for the second time, Colin, you're a good dude, and, and God damn it, your brain is big. Uh, no, I didn't read a lot. <laughs> Look at the big brain on it, it Colin. Yeah. One side, I just keep putting it in faster. Yeah, right. Uh, used to work for B3, too, right? Yeah, I did for four years. That's amazing. I, I wonder how a man of your intelligence can hang around at B3 for well, that. Because he invented, he invented the stuff that people are yeah. using at home. Right, now. right. They're like, Colin, don't go. What are we going to do? Well, you know, it was really funny when I, when I left. I'd, I'd yeah. really like to go back someday in my career. 
Is that right? Yeah. Your it, desk it looks the same. It was a great same. time of my life working there. Yeah, I'm sure it looks like a, actually a really fun place to work. I'm just... Uh, I just know a couple of the buffoons that work there. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> but then you got your gave me a wide berth. When <laughs> <I was there. laughs> but then you got your Chris Grams and your Olins there too. So that's pretty good. Yeah, they're great guys. You see me sucking up to our sponsors right there now. You go. <laughs> <laughs> they're two of the best people to sit down and have a couple of pints with that I've ever met. I don't know why they've never invited me to do that. It's very strange. You know, they never invited me either. So yeah, you just showed up. <laughs> I just kept showing up. Yeah, that's, that's the deal. In fact, I you guess. didn't even actually work for him. You just <laughs> kept <laughs> showing up. Just kept showing up. All right. You know, the, the, there is some of that. I, the first time I uh, designed a product for them, I just showed up in the showroom one night because I needed some grain late. I was home brewing. Yeah. And uh, they're like, oh, we'll stay open late for you. Oh, cool. And I show up at 7.30, and it's, it's Chris, Olin, and Regan. Sitting down, having a beer, and eating pizza. Nice. And we talked till one in the morning. Oh, see, there you can't ask for in. more than that out of your local brew shop, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's perfect. A good, good local brew shop story. Huh? Well, I remember once I came in. There's an afternoon, and I came in. I had like six beers with me, and we all tried it. And you were there. Olin, Chris, everybody, and y'all stopped what you were doing, and we all drank my beer. It was pretty cool. Well, and, and I'm not saying this just to kiss ass, but that might have been the best homebrews I'd ever had at Ooh. that point. Whoa. Well, that. Yeah, there we go. Thanks yeah, a lot. That was, I mean, that changed the way I think of homebrewing that day. Oh, man. And, and I still remember that day as well. Oh, look um, at Colin using lube and everything. <laughs> <laughs> your, your beer, Jamil's beer, and George Fix's beer. Are a step ahead of everybody else's. How about that? Wow! You thanks. just got compared with George Fix. That's cool, but he's dead. <laughs> George was really. <laughs> yeah, and he meant post death, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Colin. That means a lot. That's very nice. My, my pleasure. And I, I need to send my family to bed. Okay. Uh, thank so, you very much for doing the show with us. Sorry that Chicken Boy got you. Uh, uh, didn't do the follow up. And uh, oh, you know, no worries. And next time I will show up. I promise, and I promise I'll bring beer. Okay, Ooh. that there sounds we go. good. It's luckily that uh, Daniela went out and bought beer today, or I'd be real pissed at you, Colin. <laughs> uh, send the beer ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much, man. You were great. No, thank you. Good night. All right, buddy. Colin Kaminsky from Downtown Joe's. Uh, always a pleasure, and. Uh, Definitely a step ahead of the average home brewer in uh, in terms of how he looks at beer. He's a step ahead of a lot of the pro brewers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, what a lot of fun. Daniela, yes? Yes. <laughs> Man, Justin? It's like, uh, i got to like not even look that direction. It's like machine guns. Oh, yeah. Uh, she, could, yeah she could cut firewood at the sharp glance. It's a good show, Daniela. It was a very good show. I'm, I'm just Numb. a little offended by you as a person. Quit your bitching. <laughs> but I have my chat room like, buddies with me. They have my back. Oh, of I, course course I told them to direct any kind of hate mail towards Justin oh. at the bring that yeah. com. <laughs> You don't even have to tell them. Believe me. I've got, a, <laughs> I've got a pertinent question for you, Daniel. All right, Dr. Scott, if I really have to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> what do you uh, what do he do? It's <laughs> just his presence. Yeah. Take it out on Doc. I just want you to know, I just want to know what kind of beer did you buy? I bought today? Yeah. Well, I bought for this guy here, I bought Amstel Light, and then, of course, I bought the Easter Bunny gifts for him. Which were what? Which were the Bison. Yep. The Lagunitas IPA. Yeah. Which he powered that down already. Yeah, still working on it. And, and Some and Gordon Beersh we had. Mr. Beer helped me finish Absolutely. it. Absolutely. That's a fave. That's a good one. Uh, yeah, the Bison was the um, Bison Brewery out of Berkeley. I want to mention them because I, I, I just I like their beer a lot. He was on the show a long time ago. I'm going to get him back. Um 
We got the red one, the red ale. Right, and I just find it unique that they do an all-organic beer. Yeah. So this is why I got it. Then um, I got the Gordon Beer yeah. Pills was in there. Mm-hmm. And then what we're all going to drink right after the show, I think, was the uh, Chimay Blue, yeah. even the blue. That's a hell of so an you Easter basket. To the Easter you know bunny. what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah, I get waking up this morning and they're like, uh, we get, we're going to have an Easter basket hunt. And I'm going, are you fucking kidding me? What? How old am I? I got to get up and have an Easter basket hunt. You know, there's no kids in this house. Got my dog, right? Can we have like a dog? Your dog is the oldest person in the house. No, that's true. <laughs> so I'm thinking, you know, what is this? But then they inform me, well, we know you don't like candy, so you got like an, a, an adult basket. So now you want to <laughs> be nice go. to me finally? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wholeheartedly, yeah. That's exactly where I was going with this. <laughs> so now I'm thinking, oh, it's like whipped cream and who knows what else. Like condoms. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> edible something or others. Uh, no, but it was sweet. Then I find my bat. You know where it was hidden? Uh, right next to my carboys full of beer. Like, because I, you know, you got to cover them so you don't get oxidation. Well, there you go. Oh, right you wouldn't there. look there because you, you know, pretty much cover them and yeah. forget about them for weeks. <laughs> Danielle, that. She's like, where can I hide that he That's knows? That's what I really thought. He, oh, he has looked looks. at those guys for years. <laughs> Mr. Perfect. Beer, somebody wants to know if you invented the Mr. Beer kit. <laughs> a good question. I would be a happy man yeah, if I had that under my belt right, right. now, believe me. All negative reviews yeah, aside, exactly. you wish. <laughs> you know, I wonder if I could get them on copyright infringement. Yeah, that, like, you know? hey, uh, nice. I've been Excuse Mr. Me. Beer for years. <laughs> so you spell your last name B-E-E-R? It is. It's mm. B-E-E-R. And yeah. it's onebeer.net, spelled the same way. So uh, check it out over there. And you can, uh, uh, most importantly, you can read about the experiment that we talked about today if we muddled it at all. You can uh, check out all the gravities that he got to and the whole process right there. I want to know, how come your starters look like they're different sizes, though? That's a bit of a difference. Uh, uh, you know, it's a little bit of perspective there in the picture, but um, I only had two uh, one-liter uh, Erlenmeyer flasks, so it's two one-liters and one two-liter. That's why the one in back is so much lower. Oh, I see. Yeah. You just had whatever John gave you? Yeah, same volume, different... <laughs> in the uh, bag. <laughs> I like that Doc does the chicken dance on cue every time. You'll notice, though, that I do have uh, three stir plates, which was only about half of my fleet. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I was going to be hitting you up for one, and then Doc uh, gave me a gift last uh, two weeks ago. He brought me one. Uh, there you go. That he made right off on. of your design. You can check that out. Cool. All right, uh, we're going to get out of here. A uh, couple of announcements next week. We've got uh, this. Next week's going to be a good show, Doc. We've got uh, Frank. Uh, Common Day, Command Day, uh, of Brewer's Supply Group. And he knows all about grain and the kilning of grain and that, cool. that whole deal. Yeah. And it's going to be really a good show. Uh, but then they also like have all those different supplies that we can really talk about. So Brewer's Supply Group is our guest next week. There will be no show the first Sunday and the last Sunday of May. I'm sorry to tell you. May 7th and May 28th, there's going to be no show. No show. No show, but we've got two great shows planned in between there. So check the events page on thebrewingnetwork.com, and you can find out all about those. And the last brief announcement is, Doc, that we've got plans in the works for our anniversary show. Wow. Our anniversary is going to be June 5th. That's when we did our first Sunday show last week, although it falls on the 4th this year. So June 4th will be our anniversary show, 
And I'm not going to reveal the surprise yet, but we've really got some cool plans. Rhino. It's probably going to be the most fun and the coolest show we've ever done. Does that mean that you're not going to reveal it to them or to me? I'll reveal it to you. Okay. Like the week before. <laughs> like usual. Yeah. No, I'll reveal it to you, but I'm not revealing it to everybody because I want to get the details together and make sure everything's working properly. Okay, right? cool. So that's what's going on for the anniversary show. And, uh, Danielle, any Do we have any beer tasting for tomorrow lineup or uh, for next week lineup already? Yeah, let me see. It would have to be on the... See, I'm not in... See, people don't... Uh, what? <laughs> you just want to hear the song again, so you ask that question. It's a loaded question. By the way, the Giants won 2 nothing over the Dodgers. That's the final score? It looks like it. For over four hours of effort, they get 2 to nothing. Hey, they won, and that's what's important. I'm just wondering if that Dodgers got really hurt badly because the baseball hit his head with 90 miles per hour. Really? I hate when that happens. Uh, we have no tasting up uh, so far. All right. You want to let the chatters... How many chatters we got in there? Chit-chat. Approximately. A bunch? A bunch, yeah. You want to take a vote and we'll let them decide what our tasting is next week? Yes. Doc and I are working on a new tasting list, and uh, it's taken a while, not because Doc and I are stupid, but because we want to make sure that we really incorporate beers that everybody can get, as well as quality stuff. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so hang in there. It, it might be a little blotchy for the rest of this month, but by next month, you're going to have a solid tasting list. Uh, Someone's saying flu for the Giants. <laughs> <laughs> flu for the you, my friend. <laughs> Say that. So if we can get out the list early enough, you guys can order stuff and get it. Uh, there's places online that'll ship it to you. Yeah, and that's what we're gonna do. That's been Doc and I's plan is to really kind of organize the the early setup and and we're working on. That. You know, somebody was just saying you should do a tasting of an Italian beer, and I think that one beer that we always had in Italy, you know, with that old dude on on oh, it, yeah. Moretti. Yeah, Moretti. Oh, yeah. Love the yeah. Moretti. It's yeah. a good beer, and you love can get it. it in Italy for like sixty cents for. Three liters. That's why I love the Moretti. We were on our way back to a hotel, and uh, we were poor in, in traveling across Europe. And I had like a like a dollar thirty euro, and I was <laughs> and I went into the like the Italian shop right near my hotel, and I'm like, listen, I got like a dollar thirty. But I kind of need some. I'm no lightweight, all right. I need a beer, and they hand me like a forty ounce of Moretti, and it only it didn't even it took like the forty. The I, dark one. I got to keep the dollar. Yeah, <laughs> it took like my forty cent euro, and uh, yeah, the dark one. The doppelbach. Yeah, that's really yeah. Doppio malto. Yeah, that one. So either we do the Moretti, or somebody is saying Boddingtons. We did Boddingtons, didn't we? Yeah, we did mm-hmm. do Boddingtons a while back. How about a German one then? Well, how about the Moretti? I like the Moretti. All right, let's do the Moretti. You want to do Moretti? All right, that's cool. It's one of my favorites. Is it really? There you go. Yeah. See, that's I thought I was just a total jerk no, off and like liking cheap beer. No, it's, no, it's uh, it's a good beer. Oh, okay, okay. And, and they sell it at I know that they yeah. sell it, for example, at Bevmo. And in most Italian restaurants, you get it too. And yeah, yeah, I've, I've noticed that lately. And it's uh, it's pretty decent. Anybody that really likes Doppelbox likes that one too. And it's got the coolest looking like label. He's got yeah. that dude on the front. He's real happy. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's, he's looking <laughs> yeah. at a full beer. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> it's like yeah, it's like overflowing. Yeah. real happy Italian guy. So Moretti, it is. Okay, we'll do Moretti. Now, so there's two Moretti. Yeah, there's a yeah, light there's one. There's light and dark. Blue. Yeah, we get the the dark, the red. The red. We want Moretti red. Yeah. Yep. Okay, Moretti. get the red one. Meaning the label is red? Rosso. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the one. Rosso. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the Moretti Rosso. That's what we want. Moretti Rosso. Okay. Because yeah, the other one's like a Pilsner. It's still pretty good, okay. but that's not what we're tasting. Everybody can get it, too, I think. Good. Uh-huh. I 
I think so, too. All right. Thank you, everybody, for uh, hanging out and uh, tuning in with us. And, uh, Doc, glad you're back this week. Feels good. Don't miss any more shows, all That's right? what I've heard. <laughs> don't miss any more shows. I don't like it either. I had a lot of fun last week, you know? Lots of good guys in here. But I, I, it's just not the same, man. Thanks. So don't miss another goddamn... I'll, I'll call your wife this week. You're the glue, Doc. You hold it all together. I'm the glue person. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, I really appreciate you hanging out and doing the experiment uh, for us, oh, by the way. My pleasure. Enjoyed it. Uh, throwing on you, and uh, you really came through. It, it was a, a lot of work, and, and I think it was worth it. Uh, yeah. It really gave us a good perspective. Happy to do it. And we got Definitely. to drink good beer, too. That's right. Onebeer.net if you want to check out his experiment, and thank you for doing that. Daniela, thank you so much for uh, tackling that chat room and answering all those difficult questions. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, stay tuned for a couple of uh, cool tunes and, um, I don't know, the rest of the good stuff we got going on all week. It's the Brewing Network. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Down, double and triple on my best friend. I think I have them all over again. But don't you give me that American truth for the one a real homebrew. Homebrew, don't you really love that homebrew? Can't get enough of it. Love of that home brew can't get enough of it. Home brew blows my mind.